And then eventually he went full time as a trader and I spent a day, a day full with him, but he wasn't a trainer. He wasn't somebody that you you Mm. could teach it. And I picked up quite a bit and I just thought, this is great. And what was really interesting, and I think back now, I think the reason why trading was so appealing was because it felt such a contrast to the previous failure. Right. Because I had, I was still angry with Lee. I was still angry with David Lloyd. I was still angry with all the people that had let us down. And I was like, if I learn to trade, I don't have a boss. I don't have a business partner. I mm. don't have customers. So I was looking at trading, mm. not, oh, isn't this great? I can sit in my bedroom and not talk to me. It was just this. Control. It's the complete control, mm. how naive I was. This is a complete control that I didn't have over here. So for me, that was everything that got me into trading was, was pain-driven. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you are listening to The Cicado Show with Dr. Rowe and Harms. Cicado means to seek turning points. And on this show where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today, the mission is to provide you with what you need in order to create a turning point in your life now. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to create these shows is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope our genuine, sincere hope that by the end of each of these episodes, you will have gained at least one insight which you can take away and apply directly into your life. Practical tools, voices that come from both generations, younger generation with tips and tools, older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience. So you can help unlock your true potential to give you the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level to give you a chance to impact both your life and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. We welcome you to The Cicado Show. Before we jump into the show, let me just tell you a little bit about becoming a Cicado supporter now. If you love what we do on the show, have gained transformational insights and positive outcomes or any small shifts which have allowed you to create turning points in your life, then please head to cicado.com and become a supporter of the show now. By supporting the show, we can continue to expand by getting you better quality production, spending more time deep diving important topics and creating more exclusive supporter perks as well as getting great guests on. And by the way, as a thank you for becoming a supporter and depending on which supporter tier you select at cicado.com, these perks range from my weekly recipe for success emails through to audios and video courses from my 23 steps to success, which includes online modules on how to find your life balance, gaining confidence, improving your time management, making successful career transitions, understanding financial independence, creating a life purpose, understanding and how to manage your money, becoming a money master, understanding negotiation techniques, learning to communicate more effectively and so much more. So don't delay. It takes less than two minutes and you can become a Cicado supporter, helping to expand the show and get special perks as a thank you. Become a supporter now at Cicado.com. Let's get back to the show. Hello, it's Harms here and welcome to another episode of the Cicado show. And today we have an amazing episode for you. And I want to break this episode down into two parts for yourselves as a listener. Certainly, this is the way I'm approaching it because right now in the market space, 
in regards to making money, there are rapid market changes taking place. Now, what you'll see if you load up YouTube and Instagram and Facebook is there is more ways to make money now online or via other wealth mechanisms than there has ever been before. So for example, you may have seen the crypto, you may have seen things like NFTs show up on your social media feed and more. And ultimately, this kind of leads to the fact that there are kind of like too many choices in the market space. But more fundamentally, if you're listening to the Cicado show for the first time, we're very much about creating turning points in your life here at Cicado. That's exactly what Cicado means. And one of the best ways to create a turning point and a transformation in your life is to transform your finances. And that's where we're going to bridge into our guest today, who's an expert in his own right in regards to trading. Trading, I'm not going to expand on it further. I'm going to let him talk about it and we'll talk about it in a moment. But that could be the vehicle you select as part of your wealth creation, as part of your money-making mechanism in comparison to what we're seeing online at the moment, which is a massive choice, a massive variation of ways to make money. So we brought this special guest on today who I've known for a short period of my life, but Ro, I know you've known for a longer period of your life. So I'll let you introduce him. So mm. over to you, Ro, uh, to maybe fill in some gaps that I may have missed and introduce our special guest today. Brilliant. Thanks, Harms. And again, as always, we're super grateful that you've joined us today, particularly as we have a very special guest and a close friend of mine. For now, I think, Ali, gosh, is it like one and a half decades? Crikey. Yes, about, about 15 years. 15 yeah. years. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, what a subject to tackle. And I suspect as we go through this, we're going to have to ask Ali to come back. And you've probably heard us on half a dozen occasions say we're going to bring Ali Crooks on. How many times have we said it on a podcast? Oh, almost from episode two. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a half man to get hold of. So, uh, yeah, so we've managed to pin him down. Uh, as you know, we always do a formal introduction. And because I know Ali well, I'm, I'm going to sort of bridge that on a personal level before we get into understanding, get under the hood and understand who he is as a person and what's brought him here to this time. So let me give you a formal description for those of you that haven't heard of Alistair before. So Ali is currently 45, looking good, by the way, my man, has been training since 2001 and great story. Wait till you hear this, by the way, how he got into it and has traded successfully through two bull markets and the financial crash of 2008, which I just want to add. And this is not for me to plug you to go look into him because you will find out more at the end, all the information and find out more about Alistair. But there's so many young people online. I want to tackle that, Harms. Can you write that down? Actually, there's so many people online at the moment, and maybe Ali, you could talk to this as well, who are professing to be master traders and I come to, I come and learn this and come and learn this. And they're, <laughs> they're 21, 22 years of age. I'm thinking they haven't sat through a recession. They haven't seen what it's like. And I have personal experiences and traded through as well, just as Ali has. And it's if you haven't got the right equipment up top, to handle it, my God. So if we can talk to that space, that would be amazing, yeah, yeah. Ali. Alongside his own trading portfolio, he now trades his own fully regulated UK trading fund, which has over a million pound in assets. Just listen to that number, everybody. Under management and is currently running at over 22% return on investment since its inception in 2022. Now to put that in perspective, that's literally just a couple of years unbelievable and, and hopefully we can expand on that a little bit and find out how he tackles that because when you start dealing with a million versus 
100 grand versus 10 grand, totally different mindset. He's spoken alongside many famous investors and traders, and I'm just going to name a few of them, by the way, personalities from the world of business and sport, including Robert Kiyosaki, Jordan Belfort, James Kahn, MBA, Dame Kelly Holmes, OBE, and many others who I've seen him speak alongside. He's one of a handful of traders. Now, listen to this. And educators who has ever agreed to trade their own account. Most people won't do it because they haven't got the balls to show their own account and what they're doing at a London event, Forex Expo, live in front of an audience, and was handpicked to be on the Rich Dad Education Global Board of Advisors in 2011, 2012, which, by the way, for what that means, Robert Kiyosaki will handpick people to go on to different events and literally take low, live questions in the specialist areas, which for Ali was trading. He's the founder and head trainer of Trader Support Club, which was originally founded in 2009. And him and his team have trained over 18,000. Think, Listen to that number. 80, if anyone's listened to any of the stuff out there about outliers to create a, a level of expertise, you need to put at least 10,000 hours in. 18,000 hours of live trading and coaching time. Since Traders Support Club was opened, its first trading room in 2011. So think about that, everybody. He's coached and mentored hundreds of people. And I know this because many of them I've come across, met or passed through to him because I trust him implicitly on a consistent and full-time part to, to move from basically a career to either being full-time traders or part-time traders and being able to step away if they wanted to from what they were doing. That's quite an accolade. And I've, I've, I've condensed that. And I just want to say on a personal level, I still remember meeting Ali for the first time. It was at a seminar. I think I was on stage and he came bounding up. And Ali, in his own right, was a successful trader already at that point there. And this is going back a long time ago and was in that transition, taking it to big audiences. I try and do this with somebody I know. And I always try and put words that associate to that person. How would I describe Alistair Crooks? Uh, first of all, I would say boundless energy constant passion, enthusiastic in any situation, no bullshit. What you see is what you get. Authentic, the real deal. Great husband, loving and supportive partner, great father and a prolific athlete in his own right. And that's another conversation that we could talk about. A lot of the stuff he's done in his own sporting world and a great friend and never afraid to tell it as it is. That's how I would describe my dear friend, Alistair Crooks. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Well, have we got, have we got any time left? <laughs> that, was, that was great. Thank you, mate. I'll, I'll come more often. That was brilliant. Had <laughs> to be done. Ali, uh, oh, I really first appreciate of all, it. I you really know, thanks for coming on. I know it's been hard to track you down because you're doing so much when you're trading over a million pounds. I mean, you know, for other people, it's, you've got to be on it. Ali, you know what would be really nice? It's your blank canvas. Paint okay. us a picture. Right. And it um, may be that we ask a few questions about your growing up experience as well, but yeah. take us from the young Ali Crooks to where you are today and what you do today for other people. I think if you could sum it up in one sentence, it would be failed sportsman. So anyone that knows anyone that was good at sport, but was never quite good enough to be either, you know, national or Olympic, you've kind of got a drive in you where you just, you enjoy competing. Mm. Um, and I think if I, if I could, if I could have my time again, and someone said, "Well, if you couldn't do what you're doing, you could wave a magic wand," it would be an Olympic athlete. It would be winning Wimbledon. It would be something sport orientated. So, I think if, without consciously thinking about it at the time, I've always enjoyed competing, and I've always enjoyed trying to get better. The problem, and was, I, I, so I see that in you today, just in the way you attack, attract your business and trading. Yeah, I think I think if I wind it back, the early days, the challenges were that I wanted to be good at everything. 
and as I've got older, I've realized that it's it's not going to happen. And, and that enthusiasm you talked about is an asset. But if I if I look back with the benefit of hindsight, it was probably a detriment at times because I was like, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do a bit of property. I'll do mm. a bit of trading and I'll, I'll, I'll get involved in business. And actually what I was doing was spreading myself at the time too, in a, in, in too, too thin a way. And I look back and the things that I've always excelled at without realizing it at the time, the things that I've been very focused on. Mm. So I look back at the sports that I was I was best at. I'm fairly lucky that I've got a fairly good sort of gift from a genetic point of view. Like I can pick up a tennis racket. I can run around an athletics track and I was good. But the sports I did really well at were the ones where I was I was focused. But the trouble is at school, I always wanted to be a PE teacher. And my natural direction was either to be, if I wasn't on the team, I wanted to be coaching the team. <laughs> But then what I realized is my PE teacher drove a crappy yellow Ford Escort. So I was like, I want to be rich and I want to be, a, I want to help people. How's the fuck's this going to work? Because I'm like, people that help people are all skin. So I had this constant conflict when I was younger of wanting to be what the kids would call a baller these days. But <laughs> I looked at a teacher and went, there's no chance he's ever going to be a baller. So I went from this sort of one minute I wanted to be, I wanted to help. The next minute I wanted to be rich. Then I wanted to help. Then I wanted to be rich. And back then you didn't have the benefit of all these these people out there saying, well, you can actually do both. Because at the time, back then, you think being rich was about, was, was yeah, it was a little bit about hustling, but it was about getting one over on. You know, you had to be be the best. So there was... So, 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 so let's talk about back then. We're talking about 70s, aren't we? Well, no, a little bit. Not, I'm not quite that old. It was probably late 80s. So, so what, you were born when? I was born 76. Yeah, so that's the thing. So 76. Take us back even further then, bro. Take us back to home, you know, parent background. Was your dad a trader? Were they entrepreneurs? Let's try and get get under the hood and find out what you find you even prior to that. um, That's a great question. And I think think why that's important is often people think of a trader or a successful business person. Yeah, instantly born like that. And they think... Oh, they, you know, this has just been handed to them or their parents, as you mentioned, well, are, was a trader. So naturally Ali was always going to be a trader. That's kind of the default assumption. That's, that's, that's a really good, really good point to make. Because if you look at my parents who are lovely and they're caring and they're kind, they couldn't be more different. So they were both Mm. what you would call amiable. My mum's very quiet. My dad's got that look on his face, like he's going to kill you at any point. He's got that (laughs) old school look and what my parents did, I, I, there was. I talk about this when I'm when I'm teaching. I remember I was doing a paper round and I was hustling for money. Mm. Uh, sorry, I wasn't doing a paper round at that point. I was hustling for money, and we lived in an area that was. I would say we were probably in the bottom rung. So of the, of the people at the school I was at, we were in the bottom twenty percent in terms of okay, wealth. financial. Yeah. So it was an affluent area, Amersham in Bucks. It wasn't private school, but the kids there tended to be more wealthy than we were. Right. So what was interesting is. I, I got the least amount of pocket money. So I went to my dad and I said, look, I want more pocket money. Can you up it? Up it to a fiver. Which back then was quite a bit of money. And he's yeah. like, no, go and get yourself a job. And I said, well, I can't. I can't get a job. I'm not 12. I can't go get a paper round. I can't do that. They won't employ me. And he said, well, he kind of looked at me as if to say, it's kind of not my problem. Anyway, I blagged it, got myself a job, lied about my age. When you could do things back then like that, you could be a little yeah, bit right. inventive. <laughs> and then what was interesting is after my first two weeks, didn't do it straight away, after the first two weeks of getting up at five in the morning, delivering paper rounds, falling off my bikes, it was in the middle of winter, skidding on ice, all of that sort of thing. I remember walking in to pick up my two pounds mm. of um, pocket money and there was a fiver on the side. And that was a real shift for me because I went, if I go out and fucking hustle, yeah, I can actually not only suddenly I've gone from two pounds a week 
not to five, but to 15. Yeah. So I had that moment. I think that was quite pivotal because I was suddenly like, shit, hard work does pay off because it's certainly not intelligence for me. I'm not the, I'm not, the, I'm not the, you know, I'm not bottom of the rung if you're measuring it in terms of grades, but I would say you probably stick me in the C, C grade area yeah. as a student. But back then I got that subconscious reward of if I work hard, I'm going to get a, I'm not just going to get, I'm not going to get it once. He used to say, well, I'm going to get double bubble here. I'm yeah. going to get more, more from here and more from here. So I think so, that's probably influenced me a, a little bit. So on that not, question, yeah. so a question on that note, because I, I, I was the same. I was Sunday, Saturday was uh, milk round. Sunday was paper round. Do you, so there's 10 years, roughly 10 years between you and I. So we're still in that generation where you kind of value that. I, I'm going to speak candidly. I don't see that in people, our generation anymore, younger generation. To, I think our generation understood that now people don't want to put that effort in to get up in piss wet, cold weather and go out and do that. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative, but I don't see that same level of discipline. That might be because of security and safety and, you know, mm. technology's changed. People, but that was just built into us back in those days, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think back then you had no option but to go outside your front door. Right. True, true, you true. And There wasn't it. the technology to make the money elsewhere. So if I look at my two, for example, James is... James is going to James is going to make his way through his high level of intelligence. Kate's going to make it through her hustle. So Kate will step. She still got that step outside the door. So she she bought herself a pony. Realized it could be trained up. Realized she could then sell it on. So she's got that what I call out the door mm. entrepreneurialism. But there are kids that are doing it, but they're doing it from their bedrooms. Right. So I think as a parent, I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I've had to I've had to relax my view that it, it it all happens outside the front door yeah yeah living in such a different world and i would say there's probably less kids these days that are that are hustling which actually gives the kids that are however they're hustling it gives them the opportunity to 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 really do well because actually there are a lot of kids that have got, have got everything they want mm. you know the ipad the computer so that what's the incentive so yeah, I, I guess my question was, and I'm sure we're going to get to it with you, what you're going to share with us as an audience is if there isn't a built in natural discipline at an early age to take knockbacks and to get back mm. up and to refocus. If somebody sat at home and not doing the outdoor stuff, but just sat there and it doesn't work online, they go, oh shit, they give up too easily. Training to me is a, such a natural crossover into that discipline. I know we're going to come back and revisit that. I do yeah, I, believe that's I, a big part of what's made you the success you are today. That, I that's, think I, I, I've, I've got the ability to bounce back. Yeah. I think certainly in the early days with trading, my enthusiasm um, not only was a hindrance in trying to do too many things, but when I did focus on one thing, that enthusiasm was magnified yeah magnified in a way and I, yeah. and, and I talk about with, with, with the clients I work with is you, you, you're, you're always disowning something. So we tend through our beliefs to filter the world and say, well, this is how I see the world. Therefore, this is right. Mm. And whilst that's advantageous and that will, that, will, that will be of use to you, there'll be a part of you, there'll be something you're disowning. So for me, yeah. it was slowing down, looking at the data, looking at the numbers, looking at the spreadsheets. Mm. Whereas I was like, you've got to be in it to win it. You can't, mm. ride, you know, you can't learn to ride a, a bike on a blackboard which got me into the market, got me trading, got me experiencing the losses and the wins. But what I wasn't doing was owning the data side of it to see right. whether there was a pattern to my my losses and wins. And there was. Mm. So you have guys on the other side, and I'm simplifying it a little bit, but you have guys on the other side that will have their head in the spreadsheets and will watch 25 videos before they decide on what strategy they're going to watch. And then mm. two days in, they're, they're reorganizing it. And you want to say to them, just get the fuck on with it. So we tend to 
yeah. we tend to lean towards the side that whether it's nature or nurture that we we have built up. Now, what's interesting is I'm the complete opposite of my dad. My dad is an engineer. He is highly detailed. He has to see it in black and white before he'll do it. Right. He's had multiple business ideas that have never amounted to anything. And then th- five years later, we see somebody else on Dragon's Den doing the thing that he that he thought of. But and in a way, I think I I rebelled against that, hmm. despite the fact that, and also because they gave me the room. So the one thing I can say about my parents is, even though their faces often showed it, they never tried to pigeonhole me. They never said, right, you must go to university. You must get a job. They were very much, as long as you're working, as long as you're doing something, you're hustling is the word the kids use these days. Yeah. As long as you're hustling, I don't really care what you do. But what you're not doing, I remember my dad saying to this, saying me to this. So I remember once I had my first A-level report and I'd basically just been so pleased with myself that I got into got into the college that I basically sat around and done, I basically fuck all for, for three months. And what was interesting was he came back and he said, I don't care what you do, but you are not doing nothing. And he literally threatened me with being kicked out on the street. Yeah, I will kick you out on the street if you're, I'm not having a bum under my roof. And can you imagine many parents saying that to kids these days? No. Probably not. Now, did that affect me mentally? Did, was I scarred? Who knows? But it certainly made me realize the rules of the game. The rules of the game, if I wanted to be at home, I've got whatever I'm doing, education or work, I had to do it and had to put the effort in. And I think I'm really glad you're sharing this, Ali, because part of the message we have here is often there's an underlying message, underlying the underlying message. (laughs) There's going to be parents listening to this going, shit, my kids have been saying they want to trade. And I've been like, no, it's too risky. But actually, there might be a message here to say there's a, and maybe you could talk on this today as well, briefly, is there's a safe way to allow them to get into it, virtual or whatever, but without them losing money, but not restricting them. Because parents are now driven by this polarity of what we see in social media, the fear of failure. So you've got two extremes. Nobody sits in the middle anymore. I don't know if you agree with this or not, Harms, but th- this polar opposites, oh, shit, my son might lose money or daughter in trading. No, you, you can't do that. And they almost put a stranglehold about opportunity. And in addition to that, what Ali's touched upon is the lack of tough love yeah. that exists, yeah, yeah, yeah. whether it's from teacher, school, education to the child and also parents, parents to the children as well. There's this sensitivity around... I just want to make sure their feelings are okay and make sure they're there's that going on. That's that's yeah. underlying, that's at play. So they don't get that tough love that and I got it as well. Um it was you you must be doing something. They can yeah. there cannot be any Same passive behavior where you yeah. just kind of sit there and don't do anything for years on years. That's the challenge. Yeah. So I, so that's big takeaways there for the listeners, I think. What's what's really interesting when you talk about polarity is when somebody says to me, trading is risky, I say, you're absolutely right. Because the stats show that it is risky. Because mm. the chances are you're going to go online and find somebody who is saying, talking about it, but not doing it. Mm. The second thing is you're not mentally equipped at the start to do it. Um, there's too much information out there. So you can end up getting confused. Right. So when somebody says to me, oh, my kid wants to do it, but I think it's too risky. I say, it absolutely is. Mm. Because that's the, that's the response they're Agreed. not expecting. Because they've gone into that. Yeah, that camp. I talk about polarity like that. People like to be in a camp. So left, right, progressive, you know, you know, Democrat, you know, you've got all these. Yeah, yeah. But here's the irony is to be a successful trader, you have to not only understand nuance, you have to be able to live in nuance. Because 80% of the time, the trade is not going the way you want, or the market is going sideways. If I'm a black and white thinker, like I'm like, right, I'm only I'm only trading stocks, or mm. I'm only trading long, or I absolutely think this is going to lose or I absolutely think if I'm if I'm either end of those 
So trading's actually taught me an element of nuance. And the trouble is, is nuance is not valued in the, today's society. Mm, no. It's not valued. And it, well, social media actually uh, rewards polarity. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Anything in between, don't know. It does, it's not attention grabbing, is it? The media love the extremes. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think one thing that if 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 there if there are younger people listening to this and their parents think it's risky, don't try and convince them it's not, and certainly mm. don't show them some of the guys That's that are message. driving around with Lamborghini. I mean, I know two guys from <laughs> South Africa that that literally have got shots of them outside an airport. They've managed to get into the airport to get a picture next to a private jet. Mm. That's the lengths some mm. people will go to. So when a parent's got concerns, they're absolutely right to have those concerns. Or anyone, yeah. if you are the person who's in the mid-20s and thinking, I've managed to save up two grand. Yeah. I really want to, I only want to do something. I can't buy a house because I'm 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 you know I'm not mortgageable, yeah. Priced out of the market. Yeah. You're right to have concerns. The challenge comes is if the concerns you have mean you freeze and you don't take any action. Mm. So in this, so I always say to people, whatever your biggest strength is will become a weakness at some point and vice versa. Whatever your biggest weakness currently is mm. will become a strength at some point because the market is just a reflection of what a group of people are thinking. Mm. This is the bit I think people don't get. They, uh, they, you know, they, they either want to control it. A classic one is business owners come to me and say, I think I'll be really good at trading. And I'm like, okay, why is that? And they say, well, I'm good at taking risk. I'm like, you're a fucking control freak. You're probably going to start out being one of the worst people because you're used to having a problem in your business, mm. picking up the phone and sorting it out. You can't do that in a trade. You have to be able to let it go. So people yeah. tend to either say, well, I'm good at this. So this will mean I'm good at this or I'm not good at this. So I won't be able to do it. When in mm. fact, that risk-taking skill set or attribute that the entrepreneur has will be a benefit, but not if they can't let go and let let go of control. So there's the nuance right there. People want to take something that they're good at and go, that's why I'll be good at trading. Well, that's why I can't do it. Your dad and mum aren't entrepreneurial by nature, no. but they're not holding you back. They want you to do something. Yeah. You're natural sportsman. You're Wanting to make money, you wanted to hustle, as we call it today. We didn't use that term when we, you and I grew up. What happened next? I mean, did you for, yeah. did you go through a normal sort of academic route? Yeah. Were you already I, starting to think about business? Just take us through the next 10 years. 17, 18, got my A-levels, did very well at my A-levels because I was doing subjects I enjoyed. So I, right. did, I did physical education and business studies. Yeah. I got two A's. So Big lesson was, there, by the way. Yeah, Big lesson. Was, yeah. Study uh, what had, you love. Yeah, I had to do, I had to do human biology. Ended up with an E in that. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's just like, there were, it was like two A's and an E. I mean, it just couldn't be more obvious that do stuff you love. So anyway, and I remember um, just having that kind of, I was I, I was fascinated by business. I had an amazing business studies tutor. She smoked about 60 a day. She was hanging on by a thread, but she, she literally was right on retirement. But every time she walked into the room and started talking about business, she lit up. And she was yeah. a business studies teacher that was entrepreneurial she was selling stuff out of her garage it was nice she wasn't just a it wasn't just one of these people that academic so yeah cut a long story short I went to uni and did sport management because I was like I like business I like sport let's put these two together and I was was doing really well enjoying it making the most of uni life being involved in sport going out drinking just doing all the fun stuff at uni and then I managed to nail a placement at Nike because I was like that's what I want to do I want to go and work in sports marketing because I like I like sport I like kit I like everything about that is perfect I beat about a thousand students from six different universities to get the one place and 
it was at the time the worst thing that happened to me, but probably looking back, one of the best. How old were you at that stage? Al? So t- not 20, probably 20. Okay. So I was Can like, I press pause good. for a minute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go and be, be as honest as you can or as you want to be. And maybe if nothing did happen, but did anything happen in those 20 years that had a significant emotional impact on you? Something that uh, shifted your thinking. Sometimes it comes out in a conversation, sometimes it doesn't. But just, just for anybody listening, are you aware of anything yeah. that uh, that you saw in your parents or around you that you feel actually, if, you, if you're absolutely brutally honest and lifted up the hood, that mm. changed my perspective on the world that has carried forward to who you've become today? I think there, there was two. If we think about it from a family point of view, I'm very different to my brother, very different to my parents. Mm. So the joke is when, when we meet up, especially you, you know, Sarah, my partner, yeah. it's like we spend 10 minutes with my parents and they look exhausted because they're like, what have you been up to? And it's, well, we don't, this, 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 this. And they're like, what have you been up to? Well, we've, we've been to the shops. They, yeah. they, they live very differently to me. Yeah. And I think at, if I'm honest, and this is at the time, not now, I look back and I think I was, I don't want to end up like them, mm. which is mm. a very, Did that time, happen? At very aggressive mindset. Like I don't want to end up like my parents. I want to be rich. I want to be this. Right. I want to be that. But actually, looking back now, there's a lot of attributes that my parents have got that I now yeah. I now take on board. So I think that was I think I was driven not to be like them. Mm, which mm, mm. and I and I've said this to my mum, and I say it's it's. I realised that that was just a a kind of tunnel vision that I went into. And then the second thing was being on this placement and thinking that working for Nike was going to be the utopia right. and then suddenly realizing that I don't want to work in a corporate. I, it felt interesting. Like and that was the shift because what's interesting is even though some of the guys at Nike were quite entrepreneurial, it was, they all went out together. They all worked together. They were being paid less than the guys that working at Adidas at the time, because it, you got, you got paid less because you were working for Nike. They all socialized together. And I, what I thought would be what I wanted to do, was the complete opposite. I was like, this is a cult. I don't want in. And I realized that I'd probably be more entrepreneurial than I'd given myself credit for over over the years with the paper round jobs, the, you know, the, the other jobs I'd done. And but you're fucking lucky that it happened at such a young age because some people don't get that realization until they're in their 40s or 50s. Yeah. So that's a young age to have that insight. Yeah. And I remember, I remember I ha- I got I came away from university and a job came up at Nike and literally I had three of the guys that I'd been working with who were, you know, quite a way up in the marketing department. They were like, Crooksie, you've got to go for this job. You'll get it. You'll walk it with the year you did. And I got a job cleaning cars because there was an opportunity to start a business. And I was like, <laughs> and I and literally like, you can imagine my parents, like he's finally got the security, the yeah. job. But even then, I mean, you could tell, you could just tell on their faces, they were like, what the fuck's he playing on? <laughs> but they never pushed it. So I've all, I think that as much as I didn't want to be like them, I think having, not yeah. having pushy parents was good. At times I used to think, oh, I wish my parents were more like yeah. Joe's mum and dad who yeah. were a bit more pushy and, you know, turned up for all the sports things and were the one shouting and cheering. But actually, again, it's what, it's what, it, it's, it's both sides. My parents weren't like that. They weren't those type of people. But in the same breath, they gave me the room to go. They've just been offered, back then was 25 grand. Back then, that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I turned that job down for an hourly rate washing cars. And they were still okay with it. Or at least if they weren't okay, they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't telling me. So I would say it was the two things. It was weirdly not wanting to be like my parents and then thinking that a career in marketing was, that was it. The box was ticked. I'm done. Then all I've got to do is find someone, get married, and I'm sorted. And then suddenly realizing 
<laughs> and interestingly enough, I went from a, I was on for a first class honors and I ended up with a two, two. So I literally finished the degree and I was like, I just felt lost. Mm. And then I was going back into lectures and I'm like, you're a fucking leisure center manager and that's the best you did. And you're telling me how I should, how I'm going to be successful. And I became quite lost, quite aggressive mm. because I, I, I hadn't gone right. I'm going to be an entrepreneur or I'm going to start my own business. I just went from thinking this is what I wanted to do and then not being at it and then realizing it wasn't and then sort of flick through uni and then the job came up and then somebody said to me, oh, you the only reason you haven't gone for that is you don't think you can do it. And I was like, maybe you're right. But there was something in me at that point saying, I don't want to fall into this trap, which for me, it felt like a trap. Not everybody working and working a job, working a company is not always a trap. It's only, I think it's only really a trap if that's how you see it. And that's how I saw it at the time. So I had the benefit of going through all of these ups and downs, like you said, without kids, without a family, without mm. a mortgage and without parents trying to push me or going to dinner parties saying to their friends, we're so proud of Ali because he's, you know, he's working for whoever or doing whatever. Mm. And I think a lot of, a lot of kids are in still in that, this, I still speak to young people like my parents say I should be going to university. And I'm like, well, how are they? How are they? Are they happy? Are they enjoying yeah, their life? Exactly. And, and that's nothing against university because some kids should go to university. It's like my, my stepson, James, he's doing a master's in finance. He should be at university. That's the perfect route for him. Mm. But I don't believe that for Katie. Now, we're not going to stop Katie going, but we're not going to push her down that route just because and, and that route it makes also, us look better. I, mean, I know people that pick up university later on in life as well. well um, what's interesting here though is uh, it's interesting, Ali, you said that you're still seeing people in today's age who are feeling lost or being pushed down routes that are not maybe right for them. And what's interesting is now we are living in an age where this term being an entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism is, it's, it's available. It's like a role. It's like a title that you can own nowadays but mm. re rewinding time, when you had this kind of pivotal moment, that wasn't a term. Mm -mm. It, you know, it doesn't didn't really Not exist. Not that young age. It, it would have. It uh, wasn't the sexy thing to do. Yeah. So now kids are hanging their title and they say, okay, "I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a sensation. I'm going to start my own YouTube TV show, whatever it is they decide to do." But back then, it must have been a different feeling because you just felt like I don't belong in this. Whatever these people are doing, I don't belong there. So where do I belong? Mm. That, that, is that fair to say? That. You summed up what you said about not feeling like you belong sums it up because mm. the access to a, a different worlds was smaller. Like I said, mm. you had you had to step outside your front your front door. So what's interesting is I think when it started to shift was around 1999, 2000, mm. because what you had then was you had the dot-com bubble and you yeah. had people setting up businesses, venture capitalists throwing money at stuff, stupid ideas, good ideas. But even those guys usually only got the funding for their idea because mm. they'd done five years at Price Waterhouse or they, right. they'd still done, you know, you've got these people now that are sitting in their bedroom, like you said, and are suddenly actually worth legitimate amounts of money or the first business they try online is successful or vice versa. There's people who try stuff and they're not. So this, I think it's the speed. And I imagine it was probably something similar for our parents looking at, looking at us, Rose. True. God, they work, things happen yeah, yeah. so quickly for these guys. He can start state. a business now. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas I look at it and go, wow, things can, things can go. And, and that's the other challenge that I face is that 
I think we underestimate how we're subconsciously, especially the young people, but even even me, I just go on my phone and go, I want something, I order it, it turns up the next day. Mm. I mean, Instant you know, we keep, you know, we, everybody I speak to says, yeah, we're the ones keeping Amazon afloat. Well, everybody seems to be keeping Amazon afloat. I mean, literally it's on my phone. I don't even think it's just boom. Now, what I say is as a trader, if you're conditioning, if you've got all these things that mean you can have what you want mm. when you want, you can start a business online, that when you actually come to learn to trade, the challenge with trading is you can place a trade in a heartbeat, as you know, Ro. You can literally, yeah. boom, it's one button away. But to actually become a good trader, you've actually got to act like a kid 30, 40 years ago, learning to be a plumber, learning to be a craftsman. Right. You've actually got to have the old level of mindset of this is going to take me time to get good at. Mm. And I still see this with young people, but I, I see the percentage. And, and actually, to be fair, it was a lot easier for me because – I, I didn't have the access to as much information. I think part of the problem is that they, they try yeah, true. to doesn't work, so then they get bombarded with another advert or another thing. And it's I've, like, got, I've got the ultimate system for you. I've got the ultimate. Yeah. And there's fucking so many of them out there. Oh We're going to get to that. I, I want to go, but I just want to unpick one more thing. Yes. Because people listening are hearing a 45-year-old guy that's set up a fund, trades, helps hundreds of people across the globe. What would you say? Because there might be people going, yeah, but I'm not like you, Ali, because I've got fears and blocks. Let, let's go to the other side of who you were at that time. What were some of your biggest challenges as a person? Did you have any fears, any personal negative beliefs, limiting beliefs that you're aware of now that maybe at the time you didn't know yeah. you had? Just to sort of bring the human aspect of who you were as well so people don't think you're some kind of invincible I'm, human I'm being. God, no, anything, but um, I'm, I'm not smart enough. And I've turned that into, no, you're probably right, Ali. You're not smart enough. So you need mm. to. So it was, that was one that was ringing in me. So I'm not smart enough. My dad used to call me a clown and parents will say things to you. And I think somewhere that's sat. It, can I did stick, yeah. it will stick. And again, that's, I'm not, I'm not at my, I mean, I've said things. No, no, you, but you I, say things I, I know this as a parent, you know this, you'll say something and you don't realize that the child will hang the whole word on their being. Totally. So I think there's that, but exposing myself, I think the big one was seeing people with average intellect doing really well mm. and then seeing people with high intellect not doing as well if we're measuring success how right. I was measuring success back then which was money freedom and time so I think I, it was there I'm not smart enough I'm not going to be able to do this mm. but I was also I was also fortunate enough to be a little bit naive I would say the thing that I struggled with the most was most of my friends from uni had gone and got jobs. Some of them had got jobs in businesses. Some of them mm. were doing really well in sales. Uh, some of them were actually working in the city, which is something I've never done. It's, what I do is very different to what the guys in, you know, in the square mile do. But some of them were working at, at banks. So I think what I suffered with the most in my 20s was comparison. So I spent a lot of time mm. comparing myself to people, which is good in one hand because it can force you to get on. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a peer group that you you work to or mm. aspire to. But I think I put undue pressure on myself and I thought, well, the guys from uni are all earning 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year, which back then was a lot of money. I'm I'm still doing part-time jobs. Mm. Um, so I, if I look back, I think if I could tell my former self something, it would be spend less time comparing yourself to your to your to your peer group. If mm. and ask yourself a simple question. Do even though they might be earning more money, do you want the job that Steve's got? Do you want the job mm. that Sam's got? No. Well, then don't waste the energy comparing yourself. If they're mm. living the life you want, then look at it, in, inspect it, see what it is they might be doing that you're not. But yeah, it was a lot of wasted time comparing myself to people that I had no interest in actually being like 
or having their having their life or lifestyle. I didn't want a job in the city. What I wanted really was freedom. Mm. I wanted choices. So I think that would be. The, and, I think that would that be certainly wouldn't have happened being stuck in the city. That's an honest reflection. So, so take us forward then. So Nike walked away from there. The car washed. What was the next five years or so? What got you into the trading process then? So, well, the, the trading process was completely by chance. So it wasn't some grand. And this is where it wasn't some grand plan. I went took that car washing job because it was back working with a guy that I used to work with in the, in in the summer doing summer jobs, cleaning cars, delivering cars, and we set up a hire company where we were setting basically hiring out four wheel drives and Land Rovers. So. He was basically the money. I was the sweat labor. So it was a it was a perfect combination because I didn't really know what I was doing. But I, again, I'd work hard. I'd hustle. I'd pick up the phone. I'd respond to whoever. I'd get the vehicles hired out. We'd send them out. It was great. And he went off to be a pilot at British Midland, who don't even exist anymore. British Midland, you probably remember the row, old airline. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so I was running the hire business. I was running running that. And then we had 9-11. So that had a massive impact. He came back and he said, I want to sell the hire arm because it's – it's doing okay, but I want to consolidate the business. I've got, I've no longer got the income coming from being a pilot at the moment. So he, as 50, 50 shareholders, we sold that. And I walked away with about 130 grand mm. pre-tax, which again, back then was a lot of money. So at the time I'd gone from this sort of comparison framework of comparing myself and not having any money. Suddenly I've got this lump sum of money and I think I'm Richard Branson. Now, unbeknown to me at the time, I based, he was the brains and the money. I was just a sweat labor, but I thought, I know what I'm doing. So the next business I went into, threw all of that money in. Two years later, I'm about 50-odd grand down in debt. So that was the, the business. I remember you, you've told the story to other people where mm. we set up an online health and fitness, That's online right. health and fitness set up. It was a system that you could put into gyms. Some of you listening to this will have seen the techno gym key system where you can plug it into a machine and it sets yeah. the weights for you. We had an alternative to that. So again, I was in business with a friend of mine at the time who was a very, very high level PT. So he he was the front man. I was the operations guy thinking we could build this thing. And we did all right. I remember we were very close to taking it nationwide. I can remember the day that we were stood outside Bermondsey Tube Station and David Lloyd told us they weren't going ahead. And we, th- we threw everything into this business absolutely everything he remortgaged the house three times that all of that money was gone and then it got to the point where he he said no can do i'm going to walk away mm. and i was very angry at the time because he'd his I, I felt his wife was calling the shots and she'd and she'd had enough and rightly so and the reason david lloyd didn't take us on they said we actually preferred your system and your idea but you haven't got enough backing behind you and that's when we pitched to Duncan Manatine and he'd said no, but David Lloyd, because he used to, you know, still runs gyms, David Lloyd has said yes. So so that was kind of the, the first business was more of a, a job where it happened. I happened to be a 50-50 partner in this little business. The second thing was the, the kind of entrepreneurial, right, we're going to go in, we're going to create a product, we've got an idea, we're going to try and bring it to market, get it built. Um, and I look back now on some of the things we used to do then and just cringe. I mean, we used to, the the level of naivety that we had at that time but then if we didn't have that naivety we probably wouldn't have gone wouldn't on have done it. yeah so ironically i would have carried on if lee had said to me right let's keep going fuck david lloyd we're going to go to the next one the next one i'd have been in and i'd have gone as far in debt as i possibly could because back then that all that mattered was building off the success of that first business and i I put so much value into that that i didn't see that i wasn't an entrepreneur i was basically in a job and the other guy was the brains. 
I thought, well, I've done it once. I can do it again. And so now, at- you're sat, now you're sat there with 130 minus, which is about 80K and uh, frustrated, pissed off maybe a little bit. Uh, yeah, lost. And throughout that time, I'd always been, I've been a bit what, what you'd, you would call the fringe guys from a, the property. I, I like mm. the idea of trading. I like the idea of property. Mm-hmm. I've got this business. And I, I want to do, I want to do it all. Back then, yeah. 20, I just want to do it all. Because if I, if I do it all, I'll make more money. And back then, I was part of an investment club, which met once a month, 20 of us. And we used to meet and for two hours discuss or try and discuss what share we were going to buy that month, which you can imagine <laughs> somebody like me, I used to sit there like, you can imagine my leg under the table twitching. twitching. Yeah. So, how are we ever going to get there? And you imagine the personality styles in a room like that. So you've got, to, no, no, we're not buying. You know, it, was, it just went on. And there was one guy there, Tim from Australia, and he actually worked at Microsoft at the time uh, because we used to be in Reading and we'd, ha- we'd have this meeting room at Microsoft. And he was trading part-time. So I always used to sit next to him and think, well, I'm going to get a bit more out of the, the couple of hours. And then eventually he went full-time as a trader and I spent a day a day full with him. But he wasn't a trainer. He wasn't somebody that you, you mm. could teach it. And I picked up quite a bit and I just thought, this is great. And what was really interesting, and I think back now, I think the reason why trading was so appealing was because it felt such a contrast to the previous failure. Right. Because... I had, I was still angry with Lee. I was still angry with David Lloyd. I was still angry with all the people that had let us down. And I was like, if I learn to trade, I don't have a boss. I don't have a business partner. I mm. don't have customers. So I was looking at trading, mm. not, oh, isn't this great? I can sit in my bedroom and not talk to me. It was just this. Control. is the complete control. Mm. How naive I was. This is a complete control that I didn't have over here. So for me, that was everything that got me into trading was, was pain driven. So when people come to me and they're all like, oh, I can do this. And when it'd be great when I'm on this, I'm like, okay, what's your pain? What are you running away from? Because we're all, in, especially the younger guys, if you are out there putting it in, there's usually something that mm. is driving you towards us. It's not all about pain. It's not all about pleasure. So for me, it was all about pain. But I realized that I needed to, to do this. And back then there were no courses in the UK. No. Literally, it was options training in the States. So at the time I came home and I remember saying to my partner at the time, Lucy, we're going to go and do this course in Las Vegas. And that's when she decided she was leaving. So that's when she left. <laughs> Literally, it was like, well, if, and she only thought I was 28 grand in debt. She didn't realize. See, imagine this poor girl. I can make all this money and we don't even put 20 grand of it down as a, as a deposit on a flat. Because that would right. be, you know, a little, she didn't want much. But yeah. I was like, no, it was, it was a classic Del Boy. I call it a classic Del Boy moment. It's like, no, no, you loose this time next year. This time, you know, it's like I'll turn that into, and she stuck. I, I, I can't believe she stuck around as long as she did. Really, when you actually look back, because again, that wasn't her personality. It's so she funny. I've known Ali all these years, and that name hasn't come up for us such a long time. It's just funny yeah. listening to that. Yeah. Can I just and go then, back to something? Yes. So, is, yeah. is it healthy or unhealthy? Because I do think to have pain, I, I kind of have my perspective on it. But listening to what you said, you actually ask people, "What's your pain?" Is that a healthy thing that that's a driver or is it just being aware of it so you can manage that as you go into trading? It's a good, that's a good question. I, yeah, I, I probably paraphrase a little. I don't necessarily say when somebody comes to so what's your pain? But certainly- well, You're looking for, for it. You're looking to see what the driver I'm look, is. I'm looking to right, find right. it. A, a guy that's going through one of our, we have a little a program that is essentially our, what we call our cornerstone program. And whether you've traded before or not, I like to, people to go through it. Okay. It's a little bit like a, a try before you fully commit because yeah. I like people to see what trading is all about before they spend 
a decent chunk of money with me. And what's interesting is we've got a guy in there at the moment and he's been, and it's so obvious what his pain is to me. It's even obvious to the other people because they've messaged me within the Telegram group, but it's not obvious to him. And he's masking that with, he's, he's basically overanalyzing because he thinks if I, if I analyze more, I'm safer. So right. again, can I, I ask then, has his pain that he's lost a shitload of money before then? Yeah. That's kind of but I love the fact that you're creating a space for people to test their own behavior patterns and also what, how and what type of trading is going to work before now you can go to another level. This is a safe space to come and learn yeah, this. And, they, and what they get is they get the experience of coaching, not like in the trading room where it's live, but they'll right. submit homework and I'll coach them on that homework. But nice. what's interesting is at the moment, if you think of it like a pendulum, the pain is too far. Mm. So the pain is stopping him right. from doing things simply because he's yeah. like, if it it can't be that simple, if it's that simple. So the pain is, if you imagine a pendulum, it's a little bit like an, I always relate it to an, an actor when they go on stage. The old saying is if they go on stage and they're no longer nervous, it's the time to retire. Mm. So I always imagine it that you're, you're constantly shifting from fear and greed. But if you imagine like a pendulum, I need some greed mm. to get me hustling, get me up, get me doing what I'm doing. I need some fear to keep me at check. From being too risky. Risk. But if the pendulum for greed swings too far, because and for some people that can be winning six trades on the trot, mm. suddenly they now they start getting too loose with their rules and messing up. Or if the pendulum swings too far for fear, it can paralyze them. And what happens is, what, I, what I've noticed with all these hours is, It'll swing to fear and swing to greed. No trader, the, I, the one thing that bugs me is this, people I go, are you a fear-based trader or a greed-based trader? You're fucking both. Mm. <laughs> no one is True. pure greed and pure fear. You might lean towards one or the other, but when that pendulum goes too far, there'll be a reason for it. Mm. And that's usually then that the person will, so for instance, what I used to do, because I was action-orientated, I was type A personality, I'm going to solve this by working harder, doing more. When I started losing, I would overtrade. Mm. Now that's still fear, but mm. I my choice, my mode of attack or my mode of operation was to attack, i.e. trade more. Somebody else, if they go into that fear space, they have three losing trades that morning or three three losing trades that month, start the month off, they'll go into the opposite and they'll go back to the spreadsheet and start optimizing what they're doing. So self-awareness is key. So I, I think pain is... It's, you have to understand it so to answer your question. If you if you think it's not there, you're kidding yourself. Mm. And I, but I think well, what trading brings it, that out, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a point in trading where it magnifies that pain. You can't you can't get away from. You it. can't avoid it. Yeah. No. But what I think happens, and what I do see, and this is a, I mean this is a bit of a tangent, and we've had this with my stepdaughter is, I do I believe anxiety is real? Absolutely. But I think sometimes the language makes things worse. Mm, and the challenge is- Label, is label things. The yeah. label. And again, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. But yeah. I've got anxiety sometimes is the same as when me and you had to speak to an adult, bro. Yeah. You just felt a little bit anxious. Yeah, right. Or not on all of the occasions. So what I think sometimes happens is people will trade and go, oh, I don't want to trade that because I, oh, I don't want to do that because it, it, it feels painful. That's a di there's, there's a difference between that and ignoring the pain and then not and then not trading or over trading. Mm. But I th so so then what people do is they'll swing the other way and then they'll go ah so there's this guy online who's telling you you can have a ninety percent win loss ratio. So can I if you count the trades from mm. March the first to March the March the tenth, I've got a hundred percent win loss ratio. Yeah. So 
what happens is the the pendulum's doing this. It's swinging one minute of greed, one minute of fear, or it's 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 one sided too much. And if that's paralyzing that ch- that kid, it's the same. It might be they just haven't had enough life experience. So mm. the thought of speaking to an adult or going to a job interview is paralyzing because they haven't they haven't had to do it because they can access pretty much all they want online. So I think trading appeals so much to the younger generation because they feel a lot of them feel disenfranchised. They can't get on the housing market. They they've got all these options, but in the same breath. They're so used to getting what they want quite immediately and quite Quickly, yeah. easily mm. that it can be a bit of a shock to the system. So mm, that's a valid point. So you started to trade, and I remember when I met you, the story you'd shared with me, you'd lost a whole heap of trading money doing trades the wrong way. Take us through that transition to where you became a trainer and speak, you know, obviously teaching other people to do the same thing. Yeah. I think for me, again, the, the, the the speaking thing was never, I, I never went, right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn to trade so I can teach. It was never, it was never, it was never that way. I think for me, what, what, what shifted it was actual boredom. So I lost five grand in three weeks when I started out. So I'd finished university. I'd not decided to take that job at Nike. I'd not at that point decided to do the, the car washing bit. I was literally at uni. I had a part-time job in the gym. I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to trade. I tried to options trade row, as I've told you many a time, without any experience. And back then that was on dial-up. I felt people listening to this won't even know what dial-up yeah. um, I can remember placing trades where it used to come up saying your order has been part filled. You know, you like you, you wait for 10 minutes for the other bit. That's anyway, right. I'm digressing. So I lost that money and I was like, right, I'm not doing this. And that's when I went and got the, the job. So there was that, there was that gap. There was that sort of about five-year period where if you'd asked me about trading, my response, even as somebody who was positive, outgoing, entrepreneurial, wanted people to get on, would have been nice, risky. Because that's a great lesson because and you know, we meet people your age, Harms, and my age, who have tried it before and don't want to go back there. So I think out of this interview, if nothing else, if you listen to this and you're like, fuck, I really want to get back into it, there's a lesson here. Ali came lost but came back and revisited it and i, and I, I do want to stop. get that message across because fear at the moment is, is literally as have you said several times ali is putting people to the point when they're not doing anything it, and with the last couple it. of years of programming and yeah. all the stuff that's been happening to us through the government messaging people the fear is locking people down and my message i would like to share with the audience is don't fucking let what's happened in the past equal oh it's going to happen in the future no you can you can recreate your history you can change you can change that you really can i totally agree and I'm I'm fortunate that my second business failed and the bou- and the reaction was to go and trade. If I'd had a successful second business, I probably wouldn't be trading now. Right, right. Because it was it wasn't it wasn't some it wasn't I didn't sit there and then go, Do you know what? I'm gonna pluck up the courage. I was like, I lost that money trading, I had a successful business, I fucked my second business up. <laughs> I didn't go, right, Ali, pluck up the courage to trade. It was just an element of chance. And I think you you fast forward twenty 15, 20 years. And part of what motivates me when I teach is we often see people who have tried and failed. Mm. So I always thank the other education companies because they get to market to the people that I'm not going to, I'm not going to market to, but Mm. we end up seeing some of them. And in a way I'm, I'm the person that was there that I, you know, maybe wish I'd had because my Mm. first mentor was great. He was very different to me, very calm, very laid back. But that, that, um, that trip to Vegas was was pivotal going to Vegas because you just didn't have training courses. I didn't have training courses in the UK no. back then. So for me, that, that so, so, so a question just to point. pause there. Yeah. You're in the UK. Yeah. You've now re-sparked your curiosity around trading, but to learn how to trade properly, you have to 
fly across to Las Vegas. Yes, young man, that's how it used to be back in our day. <laughs> right. yeah, so, I mean, there was nothing. That, no one was fucking was teaching hard. anything. So I just want to put some perspective that around this, where people get the coal who, and get want to, <laughs> who, are, who have like these amazing trainers and where you, you, you train within your specialist wealth areas as well, and we've seen them and they are None like, of that existed. Nope, I, I'm not going to pay for training. I'm not going to experience training. I'm going to do this by myself. I know it's, it, this is a tangent question, but it's just raised in my mind. Here you've got Ali, yeah. who's fast forward Flew. now successful. He's gone to Las Vegas. He's had to... Uh, and by know, the way, Holmes, you had to take your chance, didn't you, Al? Because you didn't really know right. if they were any good. Well, no, you didn't have a clue. There's a myriad of people now, yes. but back there, in those... There was no trust pilot. You know, there was no <laughs> there was Google reviews. It was oh, just God. a flight. This is like, Matt Rowe, this is like two old men, isn't it? Oh, back in our day. <laughs> and then there's the jet lag. <laughs> you had to sit in a fucking class with you. I, 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 I just want to let that be perspective caning, for the listeners. I remember. Good, good, yeah, good, good. I appreciate point. that, Holmes. I remember caning Red Bull that trip. Because <laughs> in the afternoon, if you fly to Vegas, you're screwed by like two o'clock in the afternoon. I remember caning Red Bulls like this just to stay awake. But what was interesting at that that event is I had no choice, Harms. I couldn't bail on that and go to the next advert that I saw. Right. So to give the younger guys credit, mm. I didn't have the information. So yeah, maybe I had to pluck up the courage and go, right, I'm going to do this course. Mm. But once you were committed to that, it wasn't like I was sat on the plane and getting an advert for another trainer coming along. So I think what makes it quite hard for people, people today mm. today is the trust issue. Mm, good point. Because they can get screwed over six times and they might get screwed over six times for a hundred quid. So why would they then trust me? Mm. But back then I could get, I could only get screwed over once for five grand. <laughs> if I screw over there and those guys were no good, well, that's it. So in a way, Yes, you probably had to, but you didn't, it wasn't like you had another option. It was like, well, I want to learn how to do this. Trading courses. Well, I've got to go to Vegas. Well, I've got to go to New York. Okay, well, I'll do that then. Yeah, the price was I lost the partner I had at the time. But even when she left, I was like, something felt right at that moment. I know that sounds mm. awful. I was literally devastated. I, mean, I just, I'd lost my business. We were living in a one bedroom rented flat. I had no money. I was in debt. But when she went, I felt, even this tiny sense of relief, because I think what it meant is I could crack on myself. Even uh, I went can I put a frame around room. this? Because there might be people listening going, well, he's fucked up a relationship there because of trading. Uh, I've never asked, or maybe I've, I've asked the question when we first got to know each other, but do you think that your core values were misaligned? There was obviously a connection between the two of you. Absolutely. But there will be people listening to this and we, I don't want them to think, okay, there's an interpretation here. Just go and pursue it and fuck up the relationship. Was there something deeper there that actually this just became a magnifier to what would have been a split? Or, or do you- At the time, Luce, Luce wanted to settle down hmm. and have kids. I didn't feel I could provide. Hmm. Um, okay, that's interesting. She had a good job. I didn't. So I didn't feel, maybe I didn't feel I matched up. Maybe I felt like, oh, this is, this is a relief mm. because this isn't going to work. And mm-hmm. I think, I think in a way, what That's I, honest. looking back, I probably should have said, this is what I want to do. But I didn't mm. understand core values back then. You know, I'd read, mm. I, I hadn't really hadn't even read Robbins at that point. So yeah. you kind of think beliefs, values, you get an idea of it. True. I actually think the reason I probably felt relief is on some level, I knew it was the right thing and actually probably should have done it ages ago and you, you you see people on facebook she's she's got a great life she's got a great husband she's got kids and that's a reaffirmation of it usually works out all right as long as you're not going mm. around 
killing people and, and breaking the law and doing bad things. Most stuff works out if you give it enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what some people are not doing. They're not, if I'd come at that point and said, right, Luce, I'm going to get the job. It would have ended anyway, because at some point, I would have ended up well, getting- Well, your values to- would have been conforming to a system exactly. of behavior that you, yeah. Um, so that, again, really and, I, and I look back and when, when, I, when I talk to people who are wanting to learn a trade or start a new business at 45, 50 with two kids in marriage, I'm like, I applaud you. I had no commitments. Yes, I was at the time. I didn't see it that way. I was like, well, I've, you know, I've, I've messed up my last business, but I was like, at least I can move here and I haven't got to put food on the table for two, for two little people. So Mm. anybody that does anything entrepreneurial or trading property business, they've taken way more risk or they've got way more courage. I see way more courage than I had Mm. because I didn't have those responsibilities that, Mm. you know, I think a lot of things you can, you can, Again, this might be my belief system. You can end a marriage. You can end. You can you can sell a house. But once you've got kids, it the, the game mm. changes. So mm. I think I was very fortunate that all of this stuff happened and all these these turmoils and these ups and downs happened without two kids being at home. Because and just to clarify that, you have clients that come through that are the single or with kids. So it, there is no. It's just managing your own time to a system of trading that works for you. Would that be fair to say? I would say that. And back then, bro, I was a whirlwind. It was just, I was just yeah. trying to find something that I could go, this is what I do. And this gives me the freedom I want. Mm. Whereas you can, again, the access of information, you didn't have to spend five, you don't have to spend five grand and fly to Vegas. Mm. The access of information, you can do this as, as the kids call it, a side hustle very, very easily. But the challenge comes when your expectations are at a certain point. Right. So what was interesting when I, when I, all I wanted to do mm. was not get a job. Now that might sound like that's quite high. Exp- it wasn't leave my job. Mm. It wasn't leave the 80 grand job with the mortgage and the kids. It was just not get a job. So actually when I learned to trade, I had quite low expectations. Right. And I had no responsibility. So covering your expenses or just having enough. That was in. it. Right. Yeah. Can I just, and I can remember the day, because what happened was I, I stayed in the flat. Luce went back to her mum and dad. And yeah. then I came back from Vegas and I traded. And about, probably about nine, nine, ten months later, I covered the rent and the bills. I didn't cover the food because I was mm. still going around to my mum and dad's and my mum had stopped actually <laughs> getting food off my mum. And I remember when I covered the rent and bills, first month I did it, I was like, wow. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Shitty one bedroom flat on the west side of High Wycombe. It didn't bother me. Yeah. And I remember hearing a, st- a, a story from a CEO so got a new guy on Dragon's Den, Stephen. I forget his I forget his surname, and he said when he sold his business for three hundred million, it didn't feel as good as when he was literally dirt yeah. broke and hungry, and he was in a pizza shop and he put his hand down the sofa and he found like six quid or thirteen quid. I can't remember the exact story. <laughs> That's selling his business for three hundred million, he was actually more elated the day that he could put food on the table. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Relate that. It wasn't about the cars. It wasn't about the lifestyle. It was just actually now I've got a choice. If I can replicate this. I've got choice. And then what happened was I went into that position where I then became a little bit bored because to be a good trader, you're not, you're not, there isn't highs and lows. If you want to be consistent over 20 years, you're actually Mm. got to be fairly measured. So trading over time actually became a little bit boring for me. And which leads on to the teaching. That word boring is interesting because often people who are in their flow, they're successful, they're making money, they're running their business. A day-to-day is boring for them. Mm. And once yeah. they, I've heard people talk about once they are in a bored state, things are working, systems are in place, 
they're making money, whether it's automatic, passive, by trading, whatever their vehicle is. And it's impressive to stay in that state because often some people get bored literally and then go seek some excitement. Mm, yeah. And I think that's the challenge youngsters, certainly of my generation are having. It's like, ah, uh, that's they're getting bored very quickly. They're yeah. not giving them a chance, giving themselves a chance to succeed. And then they're on to the next exciting thing. I think that's something that that word bored, I think is another perspective point for people listening. Yeah, did you, I mean, we, did you we, feel that boredom by going then on to teach it? Was that, cause I know we met no, around. Again, this is, this is where the teaching thing was, was by chance. And again, there was contrast. So my next partner, interestingly, very different to Lucy. Uh, you remember Claire, mm. she's a high flying business person, mm. quite, quite aggressive, but in a nice way, high achiever. So that you imagine me, I'm at home, I'm trading, I'm doing all right. She's bringing in good money. And then she'd come home on a Friday and I'm like, how was your week? Well, I flew to Luxembourg and I did this and did that. What have you done? Placed a few trades and done the washing. It, and it actually, <laughs> again, so the you talk about contrast frames. I had a massive contrast frame going, what am I doing? So trading became very boring, but at no point did it become boring to the point where it wasn't challenging mm. and it didn't become something that I didn't want to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference is I see, I see a lot of the younger guys and girls, once they get into that mechanistic place where things are working, they almost want to ditch that thing. Mm. It's like, well, why not just build around it? Why not look for a different way for trading to challenge you? Maybe do one of the funded accounts, which I'm sure we'll get to because you, there's all these companies out there that do funded mm. accounts. Why not look at another business? I see, I see people very quick. Oh, well, that's boring. So I'm going to drop it. Well, why, why not, why not the, take the fact that you've been able to mechanize this, i.e. optimize your time or optimize the system and then build around it. Again, the, the teaching thing was but the, literally before I met you, Ro, was completely by chance. Again, mm. completely by chance. So if, um, a friend of mine got a call from the guy that you were doing some training for and he said, come down for an audition. Now, this is when it hit me. <laughs> I went down to London for this audition. I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to just come along. And I'm stood outside. It was like, you know, the queue you see for X Factor, where they're all like queuing out there. There's people outside this office, this queue snaking around the, around the block. And there's a guy behind me from Spain. He's like talking to me. And I'm like, okay, so uh, how are you? So, so do you trade? And I was like, yeah. And I was explaining what I did. And I said, oh, do you trade? He goes, oh, no, I've done some of the guys' courses, but I've not done nothing with it. <laughs> so you're here to fucking interview for a job. Uh, you know, like a job trading people. And it was just a blatant, yeah, I don't do it, but I, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. So then I walk in and it was literally the guy who ran the company and a couple of other people. And I had to stand literally on an X and talk about myself. <laughs> you know, I never knew before I met you, I never knew this was going on in the background. <laughs> this was all to meet you. Yes. It's all just to get right. So anyway, I had to talk for five oh minutes. My God. I got asked a load of questions. Uh, like, Hi, I'm Ali. And what do you trade? And then I got the I got the email through saying, "Can you come down to London? You've got a hotel room booked. You're gonna you're gonna be there for three days." And then that's when I walk in, and you're at the front doing your thing, and I'm like, "This looks fun." I was like, "This is like this looks proper good fun." You know, room Ali Crooks, and I tell you, he bound it up with absolute enthusiasm right wow. down the central aisle, and um, yeah, instant connection, but full of beans and. 
I still remember that. Probably first sat week. over you, didn't I? <laughs> Ali, Ali still does, but he's, he's got, as with older, he's moderated. He used to speak 100 miles an hour, but just complete passion with every single word. Yeah. I hadn't realised to get to that point, there was all this frigging, oh my God. And it was me and that guy, John, because I can remember. So yes, were, I remember, John. We'd been shortlisted, and then we had to do one slot, didn't we? We yeah. each had to do a slot, and then you got to pick who you were going to work with yeah. to, to, to be able to learn how to, to do it. And yeah, that, yeah. That blew me away because, again, that was something that, well, you, you just, you know, I'd done public speaking. I wasn't scared of standing at the front of the room. I was like, wait, you just teach and that's that then, isn't it? And you're three days. I mean, it'll be quite tough. But and then literally. And here's what's really interesting. My trading went downhill for the next five months. Ah, interesting. No, it wasn't. It, I didn't. I didn't. But focus. Yeah. Because the focus that and, he, um, and the focus I was putting, because remember, I was day trading. Yeah. So I was day trading and then coming down for three days, four days to yeah. do the to the events. What was twice a month back then? I think yes, it was, yeah, you were yeah. about two a and month. These these were rooms of 100, 150 people. And they want your every ounce of you, don't they? Yeah. But what was really interesting was that I was obviously practicing for the, the slots the speaking, that you wanted yeah. me to do. But of course, at the expense of my trading. So for me, I mean, I, now it's different because I trade in a completely different way. But back then classic all or nothing alley it's like yeah, well, I, only, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't swing trade that's boring i'm gonna day trade because that's where the excitement was and yeah. even though that got had got boring i was like actually in a way it was a job because i couldn't not be in front of my screens there mm. wasn't auto trading eas and robots like there are now but even so as a day trader that is a, that is a job it's a great job it's a job where you can get the same percent return year in year out your money it's, it's one of the best jobs in the world i think you're at home you've got freedom but ultimately when the speaking opportunity came along and I had to give that the energy to be able to, to be able to deliver at the level that you were expecting of me. And I expected of me, my trading went downhill because I wasn't, mm. I wasn't swing trading. So I was taking two days out of the, at least right. two days out of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. week to practice. Which would affect so, your trades. Yeah. So I think that's something I see with people as well is they, they like the idea of day trading because it's sexy. They and you can make more money in a, you know, in a, Short space time being equal. The more trades you place, in theory, mm. the more money you can make. But what so, I, I work with a lot of people that have day traded and then come to me and say, "Well, I don't want to day trade again. What can I do?" Well, number one, lower your expectations because mm. you'll probably will make less money. So take a swing trader and a day trader. Percentage mm. return wise, you'll make less money as a swing trader because you're trading less. But you might only be putting in an hour a day, maybe even twenty minutes a day. The day trade is there for four hours out of eight or even for eight our, hours. For our listeners, so a swing yes, trade sorry. would be over days, possibly a couple of weeks, um, whereas a day trade is literally in and out in the day. The energy and the focus is very different, isn't it, if yeah. anyone's new most to this? Of, most of the day traders that I coach, because I don't day trade anymore, but the guys I still coach, they might play six or seven trades in a day. Mm. So that requires a lot of attention, a lot of focus. They might be in multiple trades a day. So they might end up at the end of the week 30 trades in. They in and out, in out, in out. They bank. They've, they've they've been in the market thirty times. I might only be in the market three times as a swing trader. Mm. So it's 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 a big difference. But you then you you then manage that expectation. So what I didn't do was manage the expectation. So I'm coming down, putting all this energy in over here, mm. thinking I can still deliver at the same level on my on my day trading. So that was actually so teaching was a blessing back then because it made me realise that. For somebody who's got a job, who wants to trade, I used to be very much, you know, there's a big thing going around at the moment about people, you know, these celebrities who say that we've all got the same 24 hours and the average person saying, fuck off, you haven't got three kids, you've got a nanny. <laughs> we haven't got the same 24 hours. 
And I used to be the person that would be like, we've all got the same 24 hours. And we haven't. We've all got 24 hours. We haven't got the same 24 hours. And it's made me a better teacher knowing that people have got kids, mm. a, a job that takes 12 hours of their day. And they, they want to maintain some level of health and fitness. Whereas I used to, my, when I first started coaching people, I'd be like, just fucking find the time. Just make it happen. If you're mm, fucking that's serious. That's so true, you, actually, Al. Yeah. And I think that's still a, a misconception a lot of people have. When you watch a celebrity who has maybe four people working for them, that, that's duplicated that one hour to four hours. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. caught. They, they don't always reveal what's behind the scenes, behind the hood. Right. Yeah. It's never always completely transparent. So I, I'm conscious we want to get and ask some more technical questions about trading as well, but just very rapidly. So fast forward, you, you're now at a point where you manage funds. Uh, you have a fund where a lot of people put money into that. Was that a big step over for you to make that decision, just to sort of it round was, off it, the story? It was. It's something I've been dabbling with because there's a, a very close friend of mine who who trades, and we're both in the education space, and we kind of see ourselves. It sounds a bit crap. We see ourselves as the guys that that, that do it. And people say to me, "Are there any? Uh, is would you recommend another education company?" There's only one other education company. I'd recommend. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't other good ones out there. And that doesn't mean that there are, aren't good educators, but a large percentage of them are not trading. And you don't have to declare your results. You don't have to show your results. You can set up and train people and you can arguably do a fairly good job without actually delivering. But for me, the reason why I think we do so well with with, with students over the long haul and get people to full time is because they see us go through the ups and downs mm. and they share it with us. Now, that's on the inside, but part of the reason I did the fund was because a company came up in London who were like, right, what we want to do is take good retail traders and create a mechanism where other people can invest into it. So you, some of your listeners might have heard of a company called eToro, and this is where you can you can follow traders. But the challenge with that is that trader, you don't necessarily see what and how that trader is trading. So they could be taking high risk and then, then getting high reward. So you try and copy their trades and then you haven't got mm. the risk makeup. So yeah. I would rather be in a space where I teach people what I do, but then the fund was really another a stretch for me. It was like, right, what I want to be able to do is say, well, I had to have a three-year track record. So I had to be able to show and deliver on a three-year audited track record to even get a look in the door. Mm. And then I had to trade live through their mechanism for a period of time before I could launch the fund in June 2020 and that's where we are now. So for me, it's that's a little bit of what I was saying earlier, which is if it's getting a little bit boring, maybe do something rather than go off and do something completely different, mm. do something that is in line with what you're Still, doing. Yeah. It's stretching me because I started to have a greater appreciation for what my clients go through. So I started experiencing some of the emotions that I no longer experienced because I'm now running a fund and it's got it's got six figures of my money in. It's got other people's money. It's got people I know. That's that's a very different ball game when you place a trade and you're like, I know the faces behind the money that's in here. Mm, yeah, yeah, and, right. Different and what level I started thinking was checking. Tra- I tell my traders, once you're in your trades, don't check them. You've, they're all set, set and forget. What was what I doing? Picking up my phone. I started doing the things. Why? Because suddenly, in a way, because my ceiling has shifted, yeah. I'm now, I've now not regressed, but I'm now behaving a little bit more like the novice. And it's been brilliant because I've had a newfound appreciation or, or I, I've reappreciated what some of my clients go through when they start. 
But that level of attention has resulted in such a great result so far in the fund, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's I said it's 22, 23% up in about 18 months. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, that's done in a certain way. There'll be people here that go have made 20 times that on their crypto investments. But that was a lucky guess. This is a systematic trading process. Absolutely. And the people coming to the table with you aren't looking for rapid spikes. They want consistency. They want longer term, medium term growth. Yeah. And it's a different mindset, isn't it? It's a different mindset. And the challenge, again, if you, if you, if you think about the melting pot that like you were talking about, Harms, you've got instant gratification, overwhelm of information, crypto, you can, you can access information about cryptos and stories about people making millions. They've made unbelievable returns in a short period of time. It actually makes what I do, it almost the traders got to go away and screw up before they come to me. Because I'm more, what am I? I'm off. Well, if you come here, you consistently, you might do 50%, putting in two or three hours, two or three hours a week. As a day trader, you might do 200% a year. And some of the people, like well, my mates, made 9,000% on these crypto. <laughs> yeah. So, in a way, they've almost got to go away and get hurt. I, I'm not suggesting people do that, but sometimes people, I'll have conversations with people. And then I see them two years later and I go, I knew you were, I should have listened to you in the first place. But in a way they had to go and go and lose mm. and experience it because they've got too much greed. So, so that's the pain conversation again coming exactly. up, isn't it? Interesting. So yeah. It's not, it's, you don't have to do that, but you do see that with people. Is and The crypto space has made it, made it it's, it's been beneficial. I'm working with a guy now that's about, literally about to go full time. And he, he made money, he made a huge amount of money in crypto, but realized that he got lucky. And mm. he's like, I don't see this happening again because- Lack of consistency lack as well. Lack of consistency. Yeah. I've, I've, I've done really well. I did amazingly well on crypto, but it was all it was all, all luck. And I can explain the, what crypto is and trading. So, so well, I know tech, Harms but. is itching to ask you questions on that. So let me try, segue into Harms then. So, so let me ask the question of you so that our listeners understand it. What is trading and what is it not? From from Ali Crooks' perspective, it's not it's not a get rich quick scheme. However, it drives me nuts when other training companies say that, and then they then two minutes later advertise a product where you're going to make this much money. In this yeah, right. In, in another so week, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It is fundamentally pure capitalism in a nutshell. The market doesn't care what school you went to, what grades you've got, who you know, what your social circle is. If you've got I wouldn't say enough intelligence because you can't really measure it relating to trading. But if you can, if you can do two plus two, and you've got dedication, then you can do it. So it's pure capitalism in a broad scenario, but it's really the ability for you to make money on the fluctuation between different assets. So it's the easiest explanation is if you were going down to the the bookies, and I almost hate using this because then it implies gambling. Right. But if you go down to the bookies and you bet on a horse, you can profit from the result of that horse without ever owning it. Whereas if you want to make money as the horse owner, you've got to put the horse up, you've got to train it, you've got to have the jockey. Now, yes, you might make a bigger return long-term because the horse might have cost you 10 grand and you can sell it for, I don't know, 10 million. But the effort and time and commitment, you've got to do that whole time. Whereas you as the trader can come in and say, I see the value in this horse. I'm going to buy into it and come mm -hmm. out of it. And then I can go to a different race and buy in and come out. So it's the ability to step in and out. It's pure capitalism. It's liquid, liquid asset. And it's a really, really great way of supplementing income. 
and what or, I see or, with, or replacing an income, I guess, if, if potentially, it's enough. yeah, potentially, I'm always yeah. wary of that. I know, because I know. it's the minority of people, and right, and sometimes, sometimes by being wary of that, I give people more hope because sometimes people come to me and think I'm going to get them, I'm going to be able to make them two grand a month, mm. and they make they've only got two grand in their trading account, and they haven't stopped to think that that's a hundred percent return on their money. Yeah, but actually, if I said to them, look, if you stuck around for five years and learned the system, then maybe you could go full time further down the line because mm. a lot of the time full-time is a, is is luck of the draw in terms of circumstance but i have worked with people that have started with very small amounts of money but have got the time and patience to get to, there to so, see that through yeah. so and just so, time just, efficient income as well sorry bro it's just, i think what people it's it's exponential so for exactly. instance i'm only trading i'm only actively in front of my screens five hours a week right. if you actually set a stopwatch i'm probably only spending five to six hours a week yeah, I'll average 65% a year on my own trading account. It's lower on the fund because I'm taking less risk. Yeah. So I don't know where else you could take five hours out of a week than and get, get that. And, that, and that's the point, isn't it? It's creating other hours that they can do other things to keep themselves, you know, growing or whatever. Just to clarify, so when we talk about assets, we're talking about buying and selling stocks, but it could be trading currencies. Do you just want to broaden the yeah. sort of... Uh, so it's anything... And, that and the different styles from, from sort of a day trade right through to a, a position trader, for example. Yeah. So essentially anything that fluctuates in price. Mm-hmm. So I can even think back where you used to trade the housing market. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you remember that. trade yeah. the market that you're in. Yeah. Why? Because the housing market fluctuates in price. So mm. it's really any... You, you, you profit from a fluctuation in price. And this is the important bit for your listeners, whether that price is up or down. Mm -hmm. So as a trader, the fundamental difference between a trader and an investor is an investor makes money as the value of the asset goes up over time. So the investor has got to be in potentially for longer. And if the value of that asset falls, they have to sit through Mm -hmm. that value falling to make money. The trader Yes, if the if they bought into that asset, it needs to go. It needs to go in an upward direction, but they have the option to make money when the asset goes down. So they don't need price to always be going up. They just need some fluctuation. So it could be the price of Vodafone shares going up or going down, or it could be the difference between the exchange rate of the pound against the US dollar that fluctuates. It could be the value of a crypto currency against the US dollar. Mm. It could be the co- price of a va- barrel of oil. I trade oil a lot because I understand that market and it makes sense to me. And I'm seeing where we're going with all of with energy. Everyone thinks we're going to be all driving around electric cars. We are, but the problem is, is there's huge amounts of areas in the world where oil is not, not mm. cutting back. So oil's not about to disappear next week, but that's a fluctuation. Gold fluctuates in price. So as a trader, you it's... If you think of it a little bit like a car, you're you're driving a vehicle that doesn't matter where it's going, there's the potential to make money. Whereas as an investor, overall the asset, if you if you buy Uber shares, unless they go up over time, the value of your asset goes down. Right. Now with that is with that is risk. So there's an external risk because you are essentially just like the horse scenario, you are not owning the asset. You just get a ticket when you go to the the bookmakers. So you're not owning an underlying asset. So if the value of your trade goes or the trade goes against you, the value of your contract, your ticket can diminish. And it can, unless you set things up, cause you to lose all of your money. So the counter argument is why investors will say the reason you need to invest in a stock is even if the stock goes to zero, you still own the asset. 
But the difference is you've got to be in something for longer. So what I trade is I trade time and liquidity for risk. So what I want to do is be in and out of something relatively quickly. And by that, I might mean two weeks, two days. And I might make a 5% return during that period. But I'm in and out and I've got access to my cash at any point. Now, okay, so just company, explain to people what liquidity so they understand. When you say yeah. you trade so time and liquidity. Yeah, liquidity. So I, I, my primary asset, if you were to sit down and audit me, my primary asset is cash. Mm. So any asset that is liquid, you have the ability to spend it or transfer it very quickly. Quickly, yeah. So for instance, if you, I would personally, for me, I'd rather have a million pounds cash than 10 million pounds in property because mm-hmm. I value that element of liquidity and I've got a skill that can make that cash grow. But somebody else might not either value that liquidity or need that liquidity. So they would be better off having it stuck in what we would call hard assets. Mm. So I'm a soft asset guy. So a trader, possibly I do some investing and some ownership of cryptos, own some gold and silver. But gold and silver is really a hard asset. It's not liquid. I can't is, take yeah. my yeah. gold coins that are in the safe and run down and use them to spend money. But tomorrow I could take 50 grand out of my trading account and go and buy a new car. Right. So, so, so in simple terms, being liquid just allows you to move that money in and out quickly. Yes. To sell a house might take you three or four months. Um, exactly. So it's, it, it's, it's less liquid. Or you, and there are markets where it's completely illiquid. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I can, with what I do, I'm in the business, even though here's the irony, I don't control the market, mm. but I'm in the business of going, owning nothing and controlling everything. Nice. So by, by everything, nice I, mean, I choose when I get in and when I get out yeah. and how, you know, and whether I want to stay in a trade. And I set the parameters, which says if ABC happens, great, I might make 2% on that trade. If it doesn't and XYZ happens, then I lose 1%. And I'm willing to take the risk of losing 1% to make 2%. That's the difference between that and saying, I like the look of Uber. I think Uber's going to be worth 10 times what it is in 10 years. I'm just going to own those shares there's nothing wrong with that but it's it's a it's a less cash generating strategy so the way my fund works and my account works is i say i'm in the business of generating cash and the return you see could be more or less than a crypto's made but the the advantage you have as an investor in my fund or an advantage i have is i can i can get to my cash very quickly Mm. and that's probably why in all these years, I've been around you and all these property investors and I've never done it because yeah. I like that liquidity and yeah, I actually yeah. enjoy that. That's my thing. Yeah. That's a great part of looking people's makeup as well. Yeah. Arms, I know you were itching to try and tie questions in off the so, back So just a tie question on the back of this, which actually bridges to a question I alluded to earlier, which is who is trading right for? Because we spoke previously as earlier in, the, in this podcast, which is people often come to the table with preconceptions, which say, I have a certain skill set, which means I'm good at trading, or I have a certain skill set, which means I must be terrible at trading. So for example, somebody listening to your introduction on trading may say, oh, that sounds scary, or there's words Ali's using which sound alien to me, therefore I must be rubbish at trading. So I guess the question in real simple terms is, who can become a trader? Okay, great question. I would say, and again, this answer, I almost don't want to say it, because it sounds like, well, of course you're going to say that because you're an educator, but everybody, mm. everybody or anybody can become a trader. That doesn't mean everybody will get there, but that's what I was saying. earlier. it doesn't really discriminate. There's no, you don't mm. have to network. You don't have to. It's funny when I get property investors come on to learn about trading 
And one of the first questions they say, well, when can we meet up networks? Like, you don't need to. This is all done. This is all done on <laughs> the screen. So you're not going to get better by sitting and having a beer. I mean, you can pick a trader's brains, but that's the first thing they, they, they're kind of in this network mindset. And I'm like, so it is available to anyone, but I would say that comes with terms and conditions that anybody has to be willing to take risk, has to be willing to take continued risk. It's chipping away. We know someone that used to use this phrase for that chip, 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 Mm. bang. Mm. So you're not taking necessarily one big risk and saying, right, I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to buy an investment property and take take a year to find the one and then finally get the deposit and put it in. You've got to keep taking you've got to keep taking small risks. Just can you emphasize that? Because I think if anyone listens, when you say you're prepared to take risk. If you listen to what Ali said earlier on, we're talking about maybe a 1% risk on a trade. Yes. So whether we want to pick that up now harms all. That's a good point. I, because I do want to address that. Because so one of the words understand. that would flag or, I wrote that down as well. or make somebody uncomfortable, because what we said is, and I, and I believe this to be the case, because we work closely with the business, but it's support club is, yes, it is available for anybody to learn and, and experience and become a trader. But the word risk in any kind of category suddenly says, uh, okay, if there's any kind of risk associated with this. I'm not, so what does that mean in, in actual that's, terms? That's a really good point. I think to just loop on that is that I use the word so much that I'm so comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. Because you already have a preframe around what that means. What it means. So I have a, one, I have a preframe about what risk means. And two, it's all managed. Hmm. So, you know, the call he says- Meaning that you're managing the risk. You, yeah. you set so it up in such I a way. I set it up. So I, yeah. I think that the, the challenge people have- is they'll have heard a horror story about Joe who bought a load of shares and they all went to zero. And the what the other thing that's really important on that, and this is a slight sideline, is when I, I've done events row and I've asked the room, how many traders have we got in the room? And 15% of the room's hands go up. And I'm mm. like, I bet there's one out of that 15 who's an actual trader. Mm. The rest are share investors that call themselves traders. Traders, right. So then they've got the whole horror story of well i bought these shares and they i i lost i lost you know they went to zero mm. and when somebody hears harms that phrase everything went to they don't they don't go oh but it was it was 10 shares in their portfolio of 100 they just hear the word zero and mm. as humans we know we generalize so they yeah, hear yeah. the word zero, everything went to zero so and they attach that to the word trading, trading and suddenly, yeah. and they, oh so, i lost all my money i've lost everything yeah. well, that's, I've, that's I've lost all my money Okay, so I, 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 and people say to me, oh, yeah, I, I trade and I lost all my money. Okay, how much was all of it? And then they pause and they go, I so said, what was the size of your account? I had a thousand pounds in my account. How much cash did you have available at the time? 50. So you lost 2% <laughs> of your total cash pot, but you've turned around and said, how many people have you told that you lost all of it? Yeah. So you, yes, you, you were probably managing that thousand pounds incorrectly to lose all of it, but you haven't lost all of your money. So isn't it ironic, Al, that at the moment, hundred grand in the bank based on inflation and interest rates, you know, that that hundred grand is a guaranteed loss because it's going to erode by at least what, three percent? Just inflation. It's the, biggest, it's the biggest risk of all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with you when you look at interest rates versus inflation, and even if right. interest rates go up, they're not gonna they're not gonna knock inflation out. So the Well, they're gonna go up to what, five or six percent to have some sensible impact. Yeah. So Robert Kiyosaki always used to say savers are losers. Now I caveat that with the trouble is, is somebody who spends all their money will go, oh, well, I'm not going to bother saving then because they're losing. <laughs> no, that's if you save it and then don't invest it. It's still right. better to have money yeah, in the yeah. bank than not, Agreed. but it's the same idea. So one of the challenges is I always talk about, and I've been asked to speak about money to different groups. So I work with a guy at the moment who runs a course on helping people budget and do better with their money. And one of the questions I ask when I come on is, okay, if, are you here with your partner? 
and I, and are you here on your own? Either way, so are you a spender or a saver? Mm. Or if you're in a relationship, are there are you two spenders, two savers, or is there a spender and a saver in the relationship? So, so the idea is is trading will often attract harms people who are good with money from the the kind of what I call the baseline level, which is they save money, they budget well, because trading they think is about numbers and it attracts them. But where they struggle is is a saver. And this, I'm generalizing a little bit, but a saver is less likely to want to put their money to work. Otherwise, they'd have invested it by this point. Mm-hmm. So then when you say, right, you've got to basically go and place this trade and you might lose 1% or 2% of the pot, well, that that actually works better for the spender. Because if the spender's happy to spend their money, well, what are they doing? They're, the way I frame it for myself is when I place the trade, I don't hope it will win, I've already spent the risk. So if I've got a thousand pounds and I risk 10 pounds of that on the trade, that money's gone. I've spent it. Yeah. So spenders actually do quite well as long as they're not reckless because the reckless spender will over leverage. So yeah. you have to be able to set, accept some level of risk. And again, that's why I will get the people come through that have gone through three training companies that turn around and paint the picture they'll never say it but they paint the picture that this is almost risk-free and it's so not can, can we balance that with explain just in principle the concept of risk reward and win-loss ratio because i think if we put that into frame people go oh i see so yeah. i might be risking one percent but that's for a gain of x yeah. so that helps the um, way i free I, I i i do it and imagine your trading account is like a bag of gold coins so ro you've got a bag of gold coins this big yeah. But Harms, because he's a millennial baller, his big bag of gold coins is this big. Yes. Twice right? as big, right? Yes. Twice as big. But people can't right? see, right? So Ali's showing two bags. One small, I've got the one small one, one apparently. And mine's I'm old with a smaller bag. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. not even go into that conversation. Yeah, no, we're not going there. <laughs> so, but your bag, Ro, has 100 coins in. Harms, yeah. yours is. It's got 100. So when you place the trade, you take 1%, one gold coin, out of the right. bag. right. Now, Harms, your account is 10,000, Row yours is 1,000. So you both risk the same percent, one yeah. gold coin out of 100. But yeah. Harms, yours is a higher cash risk right. because you've got a bigger pot. So you play the percentage game. You don't play the cash game. Right. So that's another sign, just deviating. If you see trading stuff on Instagram where people purely show you how much money they've made or purely show you how many points or pips they've made. They've made. What they're not showing you is how much they risk to do it. Risk, yeah. So if you look at my fun fact sheet, or you look at my... It, when I go into trading with them in the morning, I don't go, oh, guys, I've just made two grand on that trade. Because one, that will demoralize Joe, who's only made 20 quid. But mm. Joe's made the same percent return as me. Right. Joe's made 2% on his account. I've made 2%. Yeah. It's just I've been doing it longer, and I've got a bigger bigger oh, bag yeah. of coins yeah so it's the same i can't go to, i can't submit fca fund performance and say look how much money i made it's done in percentages so so you play the percent game so both of you have risked one gold coin one mm. percent and essentially what you're saying to the market is i'm going to get in at what we call a pivot point so your personal pivot point is you say right i'm buying or i'm selling based on which way i think that market's going to go and as a result of that, without going into the complexities of stakes, if the market goes the way you want and travels up a certain distance, mm-hmm. if it reaches that point, row you'll get out of your trade and you will get your gold coin back and two more gold coins. So yeah. what essentially you've done is your bag has now got 102 in. Harms, yours is exactly the same. It's just that yours was a bigger, bigger bag. So what you're saying is, is I'm going to risk 1% of my account 
on this particular trade. And the goal is to get 2% back. But that's yeah. not guaranteed, which is why when I place the trade, in my mind, I've spent the 1%. Because sometimes I'm going to spend that and I'm not going to get a return. Yeah. If you think about that and you relate it to your life, some of us will buy stuff and we don't buy it because we're going to get a return and we buy something because we like it. We might justify it to our partner all day long why we bought it. Classic one is guys will will justify buying a TV based on all of the things that are on it. But the only reason they bought it is because they wanted a bigger telly. So we all spend money on stuff we don't want to spend, but we'll, we don't see a return on it, but we mm. go, we'll buy that. So as a spender, I can spend money in the market as long as enough times it comes back. So in the example with me and Hans, I, I, my risk was, uh, what was it? Um, 1%. So it's one, let's say it's one gold coin, but yeah. I get three back. Yours might have been a risk of 10, but you got 30 back. So it's it, the same proportion. It's just a larger amount he's using there. Yeah. It's still the same gold coin, but because yeah. his pot is bigger, each gold coin is a greater size. It's a greater amount. Different ways to do it. So somebody might be yeah. listening to this going, well, why would you only risk? I get this a lot. Well, if you're so good, why would you only risk 1%? Mm. Why would not risk 10? Well, what most people don't realize, if you risk 10% of your account, and I'm simplifying the maths, but if you were to risk 10% of your account on one trade and you had five losing trades, right. your account is now half the value it was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get you back to where you started, you now yeah. need 100% return on your investment just to get you back. Yeah. So this is where somebody can come along and say, trading's risky. But the challenge is, is that it's not trading that's risky, is you can't manage risk. Mm. A classic example is I was doing an event row, and you'll remember, you know when you, you do events, is that you've got guys on the Sunday that are on that, that spot where they're not sure what they're going to do and they're feeling yeah. uncertain. And this guy went home, sorry, on the Saturday, and he went out to a dinner party with his wife, and he's like, right, I'm really excited about learning to trade. This is what I'm going to do. There was a guy there that was an ex-hedge fund manager from Barclays, and he said, don't do it. It's gambling. You don't want to do that. And the guy was like, well, no, no. And he tried to explain what's going on. He said, look, don't do it. He said, I lost 30 grand in two weeks, essentially doing the same type of trading. Mm. So, of course, this guy's wife was like, oh, my God, what are you thinking? <laughs> don't do it. But then as the night went on, the guy who was at my event was chatting to this hedge fund manager. And what he found out was this hedge fund manager was using exactly the same trading mechanism so he'd gone from being a hedge fund manager, jumped into the retail space, but he risked back when you could, you can't do this anymore. He was risking 20% of his account oh my on God. one position because he was using the same, as a hedge fund manager, you don't, do, you don't trade this way. You have to have your, 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 basically all the money out. So he was taking the skill that he was successful at, trying to use that as a retail trader, lost all his money. And of course, all the wife could do is go, well, why, why would you listen to this bloke? that you've been on a seminar on when this hedge fund manager lost all his money. And but not only that, he had, had awful grand, risk management as a retail trader. Well, that's had 150 he, grand must have been in the pot. 20% of that is 30 grand. So he's he's risking a huge chunk of money on 150 grand. And, and it's, it's fascinating because these are the stories that people hear exactly. about yeah. rather than translate that to what you just explained, Ali, is, okay, this is how we safely make money in trading. So for me, listening to this, it's excellent because you've really simplified how does a trader make money? Now, how does that translate into somebody's real life? Like as, in, as a practical application. So say, for example, if I buy um, a, a buy-to-let property, that buy-to-let property might make me 200 quid a month income. Now, how I treat that personally is, okay, that's 200 a quid income that goes towards my 
electric bill at home. Does that work the same way in trading? How, how does that translate to, you, you mentioned traders go full-time or traders go part-time. What does that look like for a person? Great question. It, it depends on the person. But so what we do is we say like, when somebody comes on board and they learn, I think most people, it's a little bit, a little bit like doing any, any sport or any pursuit. There's a series of basics that if you don't get that, and I'm, and I'm not talking about what's the difference between a share and a stock, it's the basic process. And at the end of that basic process, when I'm, when I'm, I'm sat having a call with someone and we're working out whether they're going to step forward, I say, what's your goal? How much time do you have? And let's assess where your skill set is. So for example, if you were somebody working an eight hour job, you had two kids, you're not going to have the time to be a day trader. So the chances are you're going to be what we would call a swing trader. So you're going to be placing trades either in the morning or in the evening. You're going to place less trades because you can't be in front of your screens all day. It's a little bit like saying to somebody, you can only go into the casino at the start of the day and the end of the day. You can't spend all day in there. Mm. So you've got to you've got to be very strategic about what you do. So then we'll say, okay, how much time? And I th- within time, you can include money. So let's say that person is, I want to make 200 pounds a month to pay my electric bill. I'm like, okay, how much have you got? I've got a thousand. Okay. Well, if you were to make a, a 200 pounds on that thousand pounds, mm. you're making 20% per, per month, let's yeah. say per month. Yeah. I'm good, but I'm not that good because that's moving from swing trading into day trading, right? That 20% a month consistently, mm. I'm probably not going to be able to do from day one. However, if you make, let's say five to 10% per month, so you make a hundred pounds, you're not paying your electric bill, but all you do is you keep the money in the pot. Compounding. So eventually when you compound up and your account nice. is worth two and a half, that same percentage return is now going to pay your electricity. Bill. Yeah, nice. So if you think about you, you don't go out on day one and go, right, I've got my buy to let, I, I want to do buy to lets. I've got my buy to let, right, there's my 200 pounds. You've got to find your area. You've got to put adverts out and this is me not understanding the absolute yeah, no, no, you've got to go around you've yeah. got to put in 100 offers to find the right one so you as the trader can get cracking earlier mm. on the on the element of actually trading there's still a learning process but it might be that you actually work out that you get to the same 200 pound pot about the same time weirdly. and arguably mm. with less cash because you know yes. you, you deposit on the house Yes, you could refinance, which would increase your return on investment, but you've got another six to eight months down there. So, so that capital plus the time to prepare to, to do the one deal. So, so the liquidity of the money is slower. I'm just, I'm just putting my hand yeah. up to 10 as a property yeah. investor. This is the, such a contrast. Yeah. So when I used to teach this, it was I had to switch between these two mindsets, Al. You remember yes. this? Because I, I, yeah. I had to slow my mindset down going into property when I was teaching trading. And it is genuinely less capital and I think expedited it in a quicker way. Actually. Plus, you don't have to drive 250 miles up north. That <laughs> yeah. always helps. You don't have to be sociable. You don't have to talk to estate agents. You don't have to do that. But that shouldn't is, is, be a it's an active to do it. versus a, a semi-passive income. That, that, yeah. that is also a mm-hmm. counterbalance to that as well. So I, I like that as a because what what Alice is painting a picture for as well. People that sit here with sitting maybe on equity or cash in the bank, they're thinking, okay, so if I can get to a certain percentage, actually, we could pay this much of our bills. May not be all of them but it might be part of it. And that could and be an initial target coming in, exactly. say, for example, working with you. And there's different there's different approaches. So you can have a very, what I would call a mechanistic approach, which requires less skill, which means you can be in the market more quickly. So somebody could spend half a day with me and I could give them one specific strategy that means they're in the market very quickly. But as a result, the potential return on that strategy 
is slightly less than if they took three months to really learn the craft. Mm. Because yes, yes, in month one, let's say they learned that strategy that I could teach them very quickly. They learn that strategy in month one, that makes them 3%. Great. But that strategy is mechanistic and it's probably got a framework, if you look back at the data, that says it's only ever going to get to 25% a year, which is still better than what you're going to get in the bank. Mm. So short term, you can make more money in what we call a mechanistic framework, which is less skill. It's just more more pain by numbers. But if you learn the skill of trading a little bit like learning any skill like be it, to be a carpenter, then in the first year, you might not see a massive difference because you might end up with 40% instead of the mechanistic trader that's made mm. 20, 25%. But then you're going to make potentially 60% when the mechanistic trade makes the same amount. So for me, one of the things I say to people is, and this was me, I'm shit at maths, but I'm really good with numbers and understanding the power of numbers. Mm. Two are separate. And I think I think it's an important, important thing for your listeners, important frame is because that can be something that stops people moving forward is they think I've got to be really good at maths. You don't. But understanding the power of numbers is really helpful because if you get compound interest, the difference between a mechanistic return of 20% versus a return of 50% over a five-year period will blow your mind. True. Um, So the way I think about it, it's a little bit like learning a craft. It's like learning a sport. You're going to have challenges, but there is is a direct correlation between the amount you put in and the amount you get out. The challenge is, is so many people want to put in eight, nine hours a week, eight, nine hours a day, but don't want any guidance. Mm. So I have a little thing that I do with all my clients when I when I come on board. I'm like, you've got to learn, apply, feedback, reapply. The trouble mm. is, is a lot of people are learning at the moment, but and they're applying it, but they're missing Not that vital bit in the middle, which reapplying. is feedback. Yeah, fascinating. So this is great because we've got context. We've, we've actually, for a listener maybe who's never come across trading, but they know they want to do something. And also, by the way, 20% would blow some people's minds, right? Oh, massive. You know, yeah. we can talk about that number comfortably because you know, I know you've traded as well in the past row, but for the everyday listener who may not have invested at all or just puts their money in the bank effectively, 20% would have, would have literally blown their mind. So <laughs> that's I've, just I've a- got a suggestion. If you're all right with that, Al, I'd like to do a part two to this because I know you've got a question about crypto to round things off. Can we get you back in to now start to dig into some of the process of trading and, and maybe give them some sort of pointers in a part two to this. Would that be okay? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, not a problem. Because I think we've got to a point now we've really got people's headspace into understanding clearly that the, the markers, but also Ali, I think has framed up some great stuff on risk, understanding numbers, removing some of the fears that people may have had even at this point. Agree. But I do think we need to just att- tackle the, the elephant, which is crypto and a question you wanted to ask. Agree. So, Around the topic of crypto, which you just framed up, Ro, is well, crypto and et al, all the others as well, you know. Yeah, and my knowledge around this is extremely limited. But the reason I wanted to ask Ali, because Ali, you, you said you were aware of this, is how do we protect the listeners who have maybe been sucked into this crypto? There's also NFT. There's a whole bunch of things happening out there. And maybe they've been sucked into this and also by the incredible percentage returns being shown by certain people whatever social media platform they're looking at this on. What is your perspective around crypto? How does it play a role within trading? How should people be approaching this? And this could be opinion-based. It could be, you know, I, I don't know much more around that subject in terms of asking a better question, but I think you've grasped what, what I'm getting at. Uh, totally. The way, and, and and I can speak from experience because I've been involved in cryptos since 
the la- what we call the last wave. So what was that? About 2017, 18. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it develop. I've seen it back when just opening what you would call a wallet was you needed a degree and God knows what to be able to do it. It was very difficult to do, whereas now it's a lot easier. The, the, the thing I, when people ask me, well, what do you think of cryptos? I'm like, what are you asking? Are you asking, do I think there's value in trading them? Are you asking, do you think they're a safe asset? So I can answer multiple ones. For me, if you were, if I was to sum it up, I think cryptos are not going anywhere. Now, again, meaning they're not going away. So they're not going away. Right, no. Yeah. So the easiest, the easiest analogy, and Ro, you you'll you'll remember this, is if we think about the dot com era, mm. and you go back back then, it was dial up, and if yeah. you wanted to go on the internet, you had to stick a, a disk into your computer with AOL written on it, and I know how recent that seems for us but i was chatting to a guy in his 20s and he calls it oh well it's like no it's aol <laughs> right it's like, you remember it, google didn't really exist no, it it was, you had a yahoo account you had an aol account and you had these kind of guys in the internet space and then suddenly this and now you had ask jeeves when you wanted to look online that's right and now you and have everyone kept thing. talking about the World Wide Web. It was always pronounced in yeah, full letters. Yeah, yeah. The World Wide Web. Like, <laughs> I can remember at uni, which would have been second year uni, would have been 94. And one of my friends, Louise, went to go and email her sister in, the, in Australia. We were like, what? one, what's email? And two, why would anybody do that? So, and, and the trouble, it, it is still relatively short time frame. So if you think about the late 90s, the birth of the internet, what you had is you had all these companies, history is repeating itself. You had all these companies with stupid ideas, some good, some bad. I always think of lastminute.com. All these companies, none of them making any money, getting funding, funding, funding. YouTube was was the same. I mean, it was literally on its knees. Yeah. Money was was cheap in relative terms. Interest rates were higher than they were. So we had this internet, we had search engines. Why would you want to search anything when you've got the yellow pages sat here? <laughs> so what we're seeing right now is a similar, well, why would you want some fangled online money when I can give you cash or- M- MP3, MP3s. MP3s, yeah, little ones together. Ali and I used to share an office in the original grounds of where they used to print um, CDs. Remember that, Wirestone yeah. Business Park? When yes. When they first came out. And that whole business fell on its knees. We had a CD come through the post yesterday that something Sarah had signed up for. We're like, can't play it. <laughs> yeah. We haven't got a CD player in the house. It's not even one in the car. So I think without spending the next hour going around down memory lane. What Remember? You're, what you're seeing is a pattern. So money is cheap. VCs were lent. Markets were high back then in relative terms. Yeah. And we had this new thing called the internet. Well, what do we need that for when we've got what we've got? And what's happened if you fast forward 10 years is the companies within the internet space that are ruling that domain added value. And that's the key thing. So you, if you imagine your life without Google, so the value in Google is that they've been able to deliver a, a deliver at a level that I don't search on Yahoo. I don't go on Yahoo. Some people do. But so what you had is back at that point, Harms, there was no, you couldn't have predicted five years down the line which internet companies were going to be running the show, which were going to be top, which were going to be bottom. Understood. So I look at cryptocurrencies in a similar way. The average person in their late 40s or 50s is like, well, why do we need this? It's something we don't need, we don't necessarily get. So at the moment, it's primarily people 40 or lower that get it or into it. And where we'll be in 
five, six years time is the cryptocurrencies that people will use or people will know will be the ones that have somehow find a way, found a way to add value. Yeah. And the currency, so the Ethereum coin, or that's a little bit like owning Google shares. It's just a representation of value. So if that cryptocurrency can't find a way to deliver real world value, it'll disappear or have no value, which is a little bit like NFTs. That's like the crazy business ideas that got 50 million pounds or dollars worth of funding back in the 19, late 1990s. Some of the NFT stuff is just going to disappear. Some of it is a Ponzi scheme. So as somebody that is looking at it, if you're looking at it and thinking, I've missed out, well, what have you missed out on? You've missed out on a return, an exponential return that happened that you weren't aware of at that period of time. So mm. if you're thinking like that, your mindset's already in the wrong place. If you look at the crypto space and say, okay, what is it? Where's the value? And what do you think is going to happen over the next five to 10 years? Then that can be something you invest in. The challenge is a lot of people are trying to trade cryptos very much like some of the stocks back in the 90s that were highly volatile because the market is new, it's uncertain. And, because, and they're trying to trade cryptos. So they're trying to bet on the horse because they've heard about somebody who's made 9,000% who didn't bet on the horse, they bought the horse. Yes. So I, if you look at my performance on pure percentage return over the last two years, my best performing asset class was cryptos. There was no skill involved. It wasn't a repeatable mechanism. I just took a percentage of my cash pot and went, I'll buy some Bitcoin, I'll buy a low. I just basically ABC. There was no actual skill. Mm. So the reason I'm cashed out at the moment is because prices have dipped, because I'm not treating it as an investment at this point, because it's it's still relatively early. And if I treat it as an investment, I'm not going to be looking to make 900% in three months. I'll be looking to make the same level of investment that Apple Google, these stocks have made over the long haul, not the first mm. the bit. Where, so that's that's how I try and explain it to somebody, maybe not the cool kids, because they probably got a better understanding of how it works than I have, <laughs> but to the guy who's sort of in his 30s, 40s, who kind of feels like a guy or girl who feels like they should be doing it. If mm. They feel like they're missing well, it's out. The FOMO, yeah. It's the FOMO. It's the FOMO thing. So the whole, you know, the, the gold rush concept in my mind of people just exactly. rushing around, hoping to hit it here. Oh no, shit, let's try another one over here. You know, if you go back to the gold rush, actually, what people gave up more than anything was their time. Yes, they put some money in, but they'd go and set up and maybe spend a year or two. Didn't work, but they go find another place and suddenly they hit it. They hit the jackpot. Yeah. It feels to me like that, but just in a, in a digital I th- form. I think it is. Um, and you have to caveat what I'm saying to you guys and the listeners is that I'm I'm not an expert in that space. No. But certainly, the, I mean, there are there are certain mechanisms where you buy what are these called these alt coins. Now, alt just stands for alternative coin. I'll explain a little bit more in a second. There's guys that are literally buying buying up coins at one, for sake of argument, they're taking $10,000 and buying, putting 1,000 on each coin at one cent per coin. So they've taken, and all they're hoping is two or three of them or one of them is going to shoot up a little bit like penny stocks back in our day. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, if that's a legitimate strategy that you've researched and you've got, fine. But most people will hear about the guy that did that who made... 40,000% on coin number four, and then goes to try and do something similar or uses a different methodology. You get it in Forex trading. People will see the guy online who's made X number of points or X amount of money, and then they'll try and replicate what he's doing in a market that doesn't give them that. 
Mm. So one of the things I do with students as well is I sit down and go, what is it you want? And does that market have the capacity to give it to you? Mm. So for instance, I want 50% return as an average on my own personal trading portfolio, but I have the strategies I trade have to have the capacity to make a hundred on paper mm. because then that means I can underperform or allow for market fluctuations in those markets and still hit my goals. Yeah. The challenge most people have is they see they see a market that's literally done an exponential curve and see that they've missed out on 9,000% and want the same. And then normally no enter right at the strategy. end. Does so, that help a bit? Yeah. That, and I think just you know, as you're describing it, the, the big difference for what you said earlier on is there's no risk mitigation here. There's no system of risk. It's like just chuck it in there and hope. Whereas <laughs> with trading, you can actually go through a structured approach where you risk a certain amount for a given reward knowing patterns and maybe that's what we can talk about when we get you back in. That that to me is a a clear demarcation between the two. Absolutely. And if you can get to the point where with two of the clients that I'm working with, who have come over to Forex and and, and indices, is they were able to mitigate risk, but what they couldn't deal with with the the fluctuations emotionally Mm. wearing them out. Mm. Because they actually said, I'd rather forego that level of percent return and be able to sleep at night because... The, the swings within the currency uh, within the crypto market crypto, so big, so big yeah. that they weren't they weren't willing to pay the price. So even if you can mitigate the risk from a financial point of view, you might not want to go through the, the emotion. emotion. And it's a little it's it's almost the worst market to get into if you haven't got the ability to understand risk or the emotional muscle that gets built from applying it. Well, on that note, so Ali, if we can get you back in, would you be open to us talking about maybe the different styles of trading, what the mindset is needed for each one, and and, and maybe giving us an idea of the sort of systems that you have found found work? I know you teach it, but I think if we can give an overview, I mean, Harms, at this stage, how can we get people in touch with Ali? What's the best way to do it? Great question. So if if anybody's asking off the back of this podcast. I'll ask a question to Ali in a second, but anything Ali says now, we will link up in the show notes. Great. So- any listener can just pop to our website, cicardo.com. They'll find this episode. Can you believe, by the way, sorry, we've been going nearly two hours. That's, I can't that's, believe that's it. intense. I want to keep going. <laughs> so Ali, uh, where's the best starting point or there may be numerous places you want to point somebody to so that they can get started with Bearing trading. in mind, we don't know if there's experienced, inexperienced people that are brand new. So yeah. the, the easiest one to do is just search traders. So the plural traders support club. It's a little bit like the old Ron Seal, the clues in the name. It does what it says on the tin. We basically support traders. So search traderssupportclub.com. If you put That's in new traders as well as people that are yeah, maybe a bit more it, experienced, it can be. It doesn't any- matter. So yeah, it's right. not it's not specifically there for people who've traded before. If you go to the website, you'll see big blue buttons across the website, my ugly mug all over the website, and you just click on any of the start right now buttons. And then that will take you through to a free membership. And that and free is that membership- place really you'd recommend as a starting point? Even oh, yes, if people want to go, I want to get going now. They want to go up to another level. Um, if they, if they, if they mess, they can find us on social media. If they want to message directly and get, and get straight involved, they can. And we'll make sure we, we, we get back to you with some of the, some of the different training programs. But if you join up as a free member, what we do is every, every two to three months, we run a four week kickstart training. And that kickstart training is, 197 pounds plus VAT, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. And that's essentially four weeks. And that course is designed whether you've traded before or not. Interestingly, some of the guys and girls that do the best on that are the ones that haven't traded haven't, before. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't got all the bad <laughs> habits. So actually, so they're actually the ones that progress the quickest. But either way, that course essentially introduces you to this concept that we call the four pillars of trading. 
And I'll talk more about that when I come on. That would be great, actually. Yeah. And essentially each week is one pillar. So we teach you the pillar a little bit like driving. We teach you each pillar. And then at the end of the four weeks, you get to put it together. But during that four weeks, you get you get um, a private telegram group with just you and the other Kickstarters. You have homework every week that I give you video feedback on. So it's not just a case of four four weeks of learning stuff. You actually have to go away and apply it. And then you get the benefit of my experience. And also you get to see what a lot of our other traders have done. I introduce you to the guys that started there and move forward. So we usually run that every about every two months, two to three months. So if you sign up as a free member, on the free membership, it will show you when that next training is coming. If we're running any free webinars, because I like to do free webinars so people can find out a bit more about us. So as a free member, you get access, you're the first to find out about the, the next kickstart, the dates that we're running it. You find out there's, there's training videos on there. You'll find out about the next webinars, the workshops that we're doing. Fantastic. So it's the easiest way just to, to, to essentially just to get involved. So even if you've got experience, I would suggest you start the kickstart. But if you're somebody like me, it's a little bit of a, you know, a mentalist is like, no, I just want to go in right at the top. Well, message us directly and we can have a we can have a 15 minute chat and mm. I can see whether or not you're a good fit for us because sometimes just that level of enthusiasm needs to be needs to be managed. And I true, always true. want to make sure that people's expectations coming into this are clear because that's one of the biggest things about this industry is the expectations are not are not clear. And I don't want to work with somebody for six months to a year if they're not clear on what they can achieve relative to what they want otherwise and, and, and that's why so many people give up because they think they're going to make millions of percent return and when they don't they're like well what was the point point?" and so. they blame and I, that, you know I, I used the word when i introduced ale earlier on which is about authentic and i think that's what i love about what you do is you you're very much let's just make sure it's right for you no over promise let's just apply this from a sensible perspective so appreciate your your honesty there as well amazing wow so those links will back. be yeah absolutely <laughs> those links will be on cicado.com traders support club.com and then you'll find the way to get started there which is fantastic so ali any final words before we see one part two well firstly thanks for having me on i've really enjoyed it i can't believe that's what well, best part of two hours <laughs> wow. um, i would say that the most important thing is that there isn't one way to trade. So anybody listening, whether they've traded before or haven't, they're completely new. There is a way that you can trade. For some people, that's what, half an hour. I have some people that work that I work with, they trade half an hour, an hour a month. Yes, the returns are less, but that fits in with their goals and profile. And I have other people that are spending eight hours a day as their, essentially their full-time job. So I, all I would say is don't put a limit on it at this point. There's no hard sell in our process. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Mm. But I would explore it because I know just if I look at my client base, the, the the difference in people, you'd be surprised. There's there is no stereotype, there is no mm. type A personality, and in fact, sometimes the people that are a little bit more amiable in personality, mm. it actually suits because they follow the rules. So yeah. don't don't stop yourself thinking that you can do this because you weren't good at maths or you're not. You don't fit the the idea of you know a, a cool kid or a guy from the, or girl from the city. So don't let it don't let it get in your way. That's a great message. Fantastic. Well, any final words, and then I'll sign. No, us off. just a huge thank you. Uh, you know, we, it's taken us probably a year to get you here, but now you're here. We're going to get you back, <laughs> <laughs> and it was worth the wait. Thank you so much, Ali. That was a great interview. And thanks for thanks being for so me. honest about your journey and, and opening up there. That was great. Amazing. So for all the listeners, that's Ali, Ro, and myself signing off. We shall see you on the next episode. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would like to both personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Cicado Show. 
And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal, on a professional level to help your life and maybe other people's lives, then please complete an important action for us, which takes less than just two minutes. Please become a supporter of the podcast by going to cicado.com and as a thank you, you'll get access to exclusive supporter perks. And don't forget to simply subscribe to the show, share this product with loved ones, and we would love if you would take a moment to give us a review and let us know just how amazing this episode was. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Owen Harms signing out. We'll see you on the next episode.